0: I also want to bring to you Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. For the last 50 years, Yukonuba has created premium nutrition that unlocks the power and potential within. From the unstoppable performance of the sporting dogs, to the life-saving abilities of working dogs, to the incredible companionship of service animals and family pets. Check out Eukanuba Sporting Dog today and go pick up a bag of the 3020 Premium Performance Blend. And guys, last but not least, I want to thank my Phillies, Lion Country Supply and Garmin Fish and Hunt. Go check them out today for the spring training season. All right, guys, well, me and uh, Miss August Ann, uh, we are practicing the the new term social distancing and because of that I'm sure like most other folks that are dealing with this whole COVID-19 coronavirus situation we are all quarantined and that's fine you know down here in Georgia they are recommending that everybody stay in the house and, and stuff like that well I think it's actually a pretty good thing Spend time with your family. Spend time with your dogs. And if you really, really, really think about just the timing of everything for you, for for you, uh, you know, overthinkers out there, guys, it's spring training. You get some days off of work, well, some of y'all do at least, and you can, you can, you can practice your social distancing by going out, field training, yard training. I don't see what the problem is. Um... No, in all seriousness, though, um, guys, stay safe. And and I really do think that, number one, we should take this whole situation very, very seriously. Um, and number two, you know, use the time to, to do things. I know, you know, I am going to be using a lot of this time because as, as a teacher, we are teaching from... Uh, uh, this this online platform called zoom so you know it's, it, we're not in school my day ends you know anywhere between one thirty 30 and, and 2 30 so you know we're pretty much you know we're 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 on a short schedule so with all that being said Um, I've got a lot of time to go and work on building stuff out back for the dogs that I might've wanted to try out. Um, I'm going to use this time to add on to my barrel, the actual overhanging arch thing. Um, Don't know when I'm going to get to it, but you know, I've I've got a few things ahead of that. I'm writing, you know, the parts two and three for project upland about the, uh, the history on pointers. If y'all haven't read part one, I, you know, I would love if you guys went out uh, to projectupland.com and, and checked it out. Um, It's, it's the history of the English pointer. Um, It's, it's up on their page now. Um, And I'm going to swing that into, you know, the introduction and history of the American pointer. Now I also got a, uh, a a little, uh, I guess I, I got hit up by a gentleman My name is Steeple Bell, um, you know, Stephen Bell, but he, you know, liked my article and wanted to give me a little bit more depth and insight, you know, constructive criticism and feedback on the article that I wrote. And so we spent some time doing a whole lot of talking. Well, not a lot of talking on my half, but him, a lot of talking and me, a lot of listening. Um, Because he's just he's he's gone through the whole history of pointers and things like that. And so he's given me a lot more ammo to work with as I start developing, um, you know, this this next uh, this next parts two and three for the pointer. So all of that stuff being said, guys, I think that this whole isolation, quarantine, social distancing situation you know, it's it's you gotta look at a silver lining. You know, it's kinda funky that people are getting sick and things like that. And I think it is definitely something that we need to take seriously. Um, like I said before, but that should give us a lot more time to, you know, stay inside, stay indoors when when, when it when you're not out working a dog, um, you know, read spend time with your family. You know, I know I'm I'm I had August on here. We were watching Elmo, but I mean, I get a lot more time to spend with my daughter, Um, you know, throughout the day more than I would normally be doing because I'd be at work. Um, You know, watch more bird dog DVDs. I know I'm trying to get the Robert Whaley wing and shot DVD just to add to my own list of things that I already have. Um, and catch up on more podcasts, catch up on more of my podcast too. I know they're long, so I know most of y'all ain't probably hadn't gotten through all of them, but if you have, I appreciate it. If you haven't, well, these jokes be like an hour and a half, two hours long. So why not catch up uh, on the gun dog notebook podcast? Um, also a couple of things that I need to, you know, get going is, hosting the new mentor list. And now that I got the time, I know that was something that I've been talking about, but that should be coming soon um to com. um you know, and and also just some some other news, I will be hanging uh hanging off on getting a summer pointer pup. Uh a female is what I was planning on doing. But I'm going to hang back on doing that because I have another possible very, very new uh, prospect in 2021 um, from my very, very, very good friend. And uh, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but my fingers are definitely crossed on that dog. And, you know, I'm, I'm I trust I trust him with. With everything, you know, everything that I got and, you know, this is gentlemen that knows way more than I do and been in the bird dog game a whole lot longer. Now there ain't gonna be no point. It'll be a setter. But um you know I'm I'm just trying to hang out for the surprise. Um so I'll know a little bit more about that. Uh the possible stud that he's looking at. I'll know a little bit more about that throughout the summer. So I uh you know I'm I'm definitely 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 excited about that. We we had a conversation recently about it. Um, it's going back to some old blood old blood old blood um so you know i'm we we out here in the business trying to trying to make you know good wild bird dogs field trial dogs guide dogs you know stepping it up in my own career as um an emerging dog man and, and field trialer and things like that so now on to business guys now this podcast, this episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast live. Um this one here is going on with Terry Chastain. Terry has been a a huge, huge uh help and a very good friend um since last year's uh, uh black handlers trials when I met him. I, we were actually riding in the same Jeep. He had broken his leg at a time. Uh, but now you know he's up and running and, and he loaned me his horse at, at the, the this year's black handler trials and I mean we we've been talking a good bit and shoot man like if if I didn't have daddy duty you'll hear it at the end of this episode but if I didn't have daddy duty I probably would have rolled this podcast out for another three hours Terry has that much information and and knowledge and and is just been a really great dude um, all around he's a excellent dog, man, third generation. Um, and, and he knows his stuff. So we get into a little bit of a conversation, not a little bit, a lot of bit of a conversation about the toughness of dog. How do we define that? So, um, you know, I don't want to hold you up too much. Um, I'm just going to kind of open up some with some, uh, some excerpts from, uh, I want to start with Ed MacFarrier's reflections on bird dogs and the men who handled them. Um, both of us own this book, and you know this book and Jack Harper's uh, "Bird Dogs and Field Trials" is, is really what got me thinking just about the differences in, in dogs back then and and up till now. Um, so I want to just. You know how I am on, on these live episodes man like I, I want to talk about some things in this book I'm um, gonna start on page eight and and just kind of skip my way through um you know and and see you know have you guys kind of get into my perspective um and, and and my frame of mind and what made me think about you know this particular episode um I want to go all the way back, so we're we're talking about in the 1920s, so Ed MacFarrier details his first trip to Canada. He says um, plans were being made in the spring of 1921 to go to Canada for the first time. Some kind of trade had been made with Mac Pritchett, and he, daddy, mother, and I were to make the trip in a Model T Ford. A fifth passenger was Alec, a smooth-haired fox terrier puppy. My First dog to train, the dogs were to be shipped later later via Railway Express to Antler, North Dakota, uh, so as to get there after our arrival. At the time, the express company did try to care for animals in transit, but in, but in spite of the precautions, it was not uncommon to lose a dog on the trip or soon after completing the trip, usually from pneumonia. The old Bacchus quote unquote uh, dog crate was the most common one in use for shipping by rail. For sheer strength and durability, they could not be beaten, they would last for years. Some had flat tops, others round ones, each had its disadvantages, Uh, advantages and disadvantages the round tops were preferred by the dog people for shipping on trains chances were less with the round tops that other items such as boxes etc would be stacked on top of the crate preventing heat from the animal's body from escaping through the top however when loaded on a flatbed wagon to be hauled 30 to 35 miles by a team of horses when crossing the canadian border to your camp, if necessary, to stack one on top of the other, the round tops could be a problem. So I'm going um, you to know, kind of skip forward right there. Um, he says, as for our trip in the Model T, I'm sure my view must have been entirely different from other passengers. For Mother, it must have been terrible, comparable to trips to the West in covered wagons. As for me, I loved every minute of it. So did the Fox Terrier, Alec. I was nine at the time, and there were probably things that happened that I do not remember, but many of them are still vivid in my memory. The ones described here are from my memory, not from any recorded data. Um, The equipment to be carried consisted of a tent, one folding canvas army type cot, a small gas stove, a few cooking utensils and some blankets, a rack on the running board on the left side of the car provided the only storage space. Model T's did not have a door on the left for the driver to exit and lug it in the luggage rack blocked the rear door. So all access in and out of the car had to be on the right side. Uh, what little cosmetics and clothing were carried, which was very little, had to be carried inside the car. It was an open touring car with curtains. Whenever rain threatened, it was necessary to stop and put the curtains up. Not a small job. At times, the rain would come before the job was completed. At others, after the curtains were put up, it would not come at all. Then the curtains would have to come down because it was too hot to keep them up. Roadmaps, as we know them, were non-existent. We have what was called a blue book. To direct you from one town to another, a map of the city would be shown given uh giving the name of the street to travel to reach the road to your next town uh, on one of the main problems one of the main problems they encountered was finding a starting point as it was difficult finding the street shown on the map once in the countryside you had to watch for markers such as churches and barns and they were all leaders to your next turn all right so just uh you know, Thinking about that trip alone, just for the people, you know, and, and then the dogs like that was just a much different scenario. And and, and those kinds of conditions, um, dogs dying from pneumonia and things like that, I, I just imagine it was a lot harder overall on the trainers. And you really had to be dedicated to this um, technology wasn't the same and, and things like that. I don't know, man. It just the whole how Ed McFerrier details this trip. So it took him, he says it, it took him 13 days, uh, 2,200 miles and just the sleeping and opening up here. You're going from North Alabama all the way up to Canada. I mean, that was a hell of a trip, man. And and this is what our bird dog forefathers were doing, you know, in times when things were way, 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 way worse. Um, you know, money was a whole lot, you know, money didn't really, it, it wasn't as readily available. Jobs were a little bit different. Um, you know, and, and, and this is, these are the things that kind of shaped, uh, dog man. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, kind of, uh, give a couple more little anecdotes from here and then I'll go ahead and get into the podcast. But, um, he says our location the first two summers was 13 miles northwest of Gaines uh, Gainesboro, Saskatchewan, at a Mr. Dempsey's place. Mother and Daddy stayed in a guest room of his house, which had an outside entrance. One end of a caboose and the yard served as Mac Pritchett's quarters, and the other a kitchenette. The tent we used on the trip was erected on the back side of the caboose. One side tied to the building for protection against any strong winds this was my room I slept in a tent on the canvas cot with Alec the fox terrier under the cover at my feet hearing breakfast being prepared each morning before daylight was my alarm clock I rode the dog wagon each morning all dogs were yard work at some time of the day, usually in the afternoon, Alec the fox terrier, and I learned how it was done together. Watching Daddy and Mac uh, Mac Pritchett, I taught Alec to come, woe, heal, and to retrieve. For all of his life, he went with me when I went quail hunting by myself during quail season. This was nearly every afternoon after school and on Saturdays. I was not allowed to take any of my friends' quail hunting. Squirrel hunting, yes, but quail hunting was too dangerous. All right, and then... Uh, let's see what else we got. Well, he goes on to talk about Bella Joyeuse, Duquesne, Nelly, um, you know, the 18th quell Futurity charity and uh, muscle Soul shows. Jake, um, who was really one of the 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 main figureheads, and this was something that um steeple bell and i had discussed um you know this past weekend um but muscle shows jake was definitely one of the main figure heads for the american pointer and got us to where we are today what um you know what uh ed MacFarrier says about muscle shows jake just in short he says um In Canada, Jake proved to be a handful It soon became apparent that he was a dog that had to be kept under control as much as possible. The method of working him soon changed from that of the usual. In one way, it was novel. He was run with a long, heavy rope and made to quarter his country. Uh, The whistle was used much more for commands than the voice. Now we come to the novel part it was taught to turn in response to two short blasts to move on in response to the long one usually referred to as a call whistle if possible he was never allowed to get out of sight if he did any writing necessary to get him back and view was quickly put in motion jake did not place in canada but a report in the field notes that he made an excellent show uh, showing he was a thoroughly broken dog and he was very positive on his game as a first-year all-age dog Muscle shows Jake was far above the average. His placements that year were second in, to the Doughboy in the Georgia trials, first to Doughboy, second in the Southern and uh in the Southern and winner of the National Free-for-all and the National Championship. He got off to a good start and soon had two finds he encountered a flock of goats. After getting Jake in hand, Daddy asked the judges for permission to take him up. They were told that once he made a kill, he stopped looking for quail. One of the judges, C E buckle intimated that he would like to see him continue left on the ground. He pointed no more birds. And after he'd made another kill this time, a pig, the lead, the lead was put, uh, put on him. The dog was a killer and would tackle any animal he thought he could conquer. Um, you know, that, that's just an interesting way to describe muscle shows, Jake. And he comes up a whole lot more, um, throughout this book and you know, definitely throughout many of the other uh throughout a lot more of the other the literature that I have um on pointers. So you know that was just one kind of way of of, of putting you in I guess putting you guys in my head and, and seeing what made me kind of interested in how these older guys were, you know, working these dogs and training them and, and things like that. Um, I just, I don't know, man, I was just very, very, very interested in in all, all these, I guess, ways of learning and ways of knowing, you know? So I don't want to, you know, bug you too much and, and, you know, talk too much about, you know, Ed MacFerrier's book, because I just think you should get it. Um, You should definitely go to strideaway.com. Chris Mathen um, was the one that gave me that book. I purchased it from her. But, um, you know, it's definitely one of my I I keep saying these favorites, but like I really do like have a a gang of favorites of books. So anyway, I'm going to get to uh, Jack Harper's, uh, you know, piece that also kind of made me think a little bit. All right. So now I, I want to talk about Jack Harper's bird dogs and field trials. And, and I want to start on page 99 where um, he's talking about um, running the free for all in 1943 with his dog, Texas Ranger, who's a Hall of Fame dog. But um, I'm going to kind of bounce through here, too. But, uh, you know, one other thing. uh you know, he—I'll just kind of say it, but anyway, he says the Texas Ranger aided and abetted by his handler uh, and scouts. He's—he's he's talking about Horace Little, who gave a write-up on Texas Ranger. He said the Texas Ranger aided and abetted by his handler and scout really put on a show. We we doubt ever seeing it's equal for drama handlers who have seen him practically all of his races said he never ran a better one from release to pickup, It was a, it was showmanship of the highest order built on a foundation of a great dog and the right mood and on good grounds. All right. So that was, that was Horace Little's write up of the Texas Rangers. So that'll kind of give you an idea of what we're kind of working with as far as um, Jack Harper's one of Jack Harper's like, Most well known dogs So anyway Jack Harper goes and he says The second time Ranger won the free for all In 1943 He won it convincingly but not as dramatically In 1941 It was not the dog's fault however Because he was at his peak But due to just another of the many mistakes I have made The night before he was to run the three hours When I went to give him his special feed I turned him out Of his run to eat I had another dog in that kennel I couldn't turn out and I was crowded for space. I had six pounds of hamburger in a package and had put two pounds of it in Jimmy's feed and placed the remainder on top of the doghouse. Something came up to interrupt my feeding of Jimmy, probably a dog scrap. When I got back on the job, Jimmy, who was always believed that no good food should go to waste, has scented and pulled down and eaten the remaining four pounds of hamburger. Thus, he had about an eight pound supper. It would have been an 80-mile trip to the vet to get a stomach pump, so I just let it go and hope for the best. <laughs> that right there, I don't know how many trainers, you know, or how many dog folks nowadays can, you know, they say can say that they, they've, they number one, given their dog just hamburger meat, just straight-up raw meat like that, but then also running the dog shortly thereafter, and he's still coming in, Um to to win and i just think that was i think that was a very 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 um interesting scenario interesting i say that with a whole lot of emphasis on because um you know that that just takes a dog with a lot of drive and a lot of talent a lot of potential and things like that to run on a full stomach like that um i would have thought the dog's stomach would have turned over but obviously didn't um so there's another piece that I want to you know kind of talk about when it comes to the physicality of what some of these guys were doing and you know how he goes into you know talking about getting into a dog's head right before a trial so listen to this so Jack Harper now is talking about his other dog, Texan Boy, who who is just you know offspring to uh, Texas Ranger. So uh, this is another trial um, that he's running, um, and a free for all trial. And he kind of talks about how he was getting into the dogs' heads and and working with a scout, um, you know, a, a helper by the name of Stan. So Harper goes. He 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 talks about the story. Um, he says, realizing the text has had his enthusiasm built to a boiling point, I knew that we were going to need a session to refresh his memory regarding turning signals if I expected to keep him on course for three hours this afternoon before we were run. I started at one p.m. Uh, out from the kennels for a training session It was a missing rain And it was missing rain and windy Or I'd have gone to unfamiliar grounds Because Tex knew where every covey lived For miles around I could see he was fired up He responded fairly well Then disappeared I didn't have my regular scout that afternoon But another helper, Stan Ake A tough-fibered ex-soldier And ex-cop With the best eyesight anyone I, Of anyone I've ever seen with the exception of John Skillman. I didn't want Tex to stand in the rain on point for long, so I sent Stan in the direction of a couple of where a couple bevies lived, and I went to another area. Stan had asked me what to do in case he found him on point. I told him to jerk him up and give him every give him a very sound thrashing, blowing the turn whistle meanwhile, and then heal him back. He gave me a questioning look, but I assured him I was serious. An hour and a half later, he returned with text and said he'd done exactly what I told him to do. We released him again, and he responded to signals better. Then he must have bethought himself of an, of another bevy that he'd not checked and was gone again. At the end of my rope, I figured we'd lost the free-for-all again. I hunted desperately to find him and returned to the kennel just uh, just before dark. On the last disappearance, Stan had asked for instructions. I said, quote, whether he is on point or not, just whip and whistle till you give out and heal home. Soon after I got to the kennel, Stan came in healing Tex. He finally found him on point. I didn't have to ask him if he followed instructions. Tex had large welts from his shoulder to his tail. And his hair was laid back in places and crimped as though he'd had a permanent wave. I was dejected, but I still would not give up. Tex was brought in the house and fed all the regular ration he would eat and several pounds of hamburger, canned salmon, soft boiled eggs, liver and other assorted delicacies that I could get him to eat. He was allowed to sleep by the fire on the rug that night. Next morning, we tried to groom him a little for his hide was sore and swollen and the hair still crimped back in ridges. We brushed it carefully, but then it wouldn't stay in place from all the food he'd eaten. And from the swollen height, he looked like a great puffed up toad frog. This time he had been treated treated with cruelty before starting time. A real storm blew in the temperature below freezing high winds and light rain mixed with snow, which later turned to sleet and rain. It was decided to start anyway at breakaway Tex was not straining on it on the bits and for a few seconds i i wondered if he was not thinking about heading back to his warm box in my truck but he spied a shallow weed filled ditch on his right headed up uh headed up that and within two minutes was on point fired up but responding to hand signals taking advantage of the high wind i let him go downwind for a good cast And then before he got out of whistle range, would turn him back into the wind for a short cast, then back downwind for a good cast before turning him in again. Tex wasn't skipping any good objectives. In the first hour, he had three clean finds in spite of the blizzard. I knew the judges wouldn't be enthralled with this type of ground race, but knew that there were two more hours to go, and a good finish counts more than a good start. Uh, I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip, 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 skip. Harper goes on to talk about um, the prediction Leon Covington um, basically thought the race was pretty much over um, based on the weather and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and he was talking about Texan boy and so on and so forth. But anyway, he says Cubs' prediction proved true. The weather cleared and the trial finished under cleared skies, but the odds had greatly been against any other dog surpassing Texas performance. Reporter Bill Brown did not laud the first hour of his race in the groundwork depart- department but did emphasize the bird hunting and wrote glowingly of the later half of the race speaking of his great bird finding and handling skills and his indomitable drive towards all good objectives his stout finish despite abominable conditions abominable not abdominal abominable conditions and of his veritable Colossus-like attitudes on game. I don't know if Morton changed his opinion regarding big dogs or not. I never heard him express an opinion after that. I'm not recommending by any means that anyone use the method that I used with Tex. He was the only dog I've had that I think could have stood up to such training. I'm sure no modern dog could survive such boot, such a boot, uh, I'm sure no modern dog could survive such boot camp style discipline. Uh, Maybe he deserved a better equipped handler. Maybe uh, perhaps Morton with his vast skills and resources could have been more successful with him than I was. Provided he could have brought himself to work with a big dog. Tex was not a huge dog. He weighed 55 pounds, but had a deep chest, long, strong legs. So that there, I mean, I, I don't think I've, I've, I don't, yeah, I know for a fact I've never read anything like that on any of my other podcasts. But like I said, I just really got to thinking when I read about stuff like that. And Jack Harper was a phenomenal trainer. Ed McFerry was a phenomenal trainer. And you know, way back in the day, you know, we talk about resources and and what things were like. Just times were different. Um, you know, people were different. The the methods were different. And so going forward. Um, you know, with the actual, um, with the actual live piece of this podcast, Terry Chastain and, and I are going to talk a little bit and have a little bit of a discussion on toughness, you know, and, and, and as Jack Harper said, whether any kind of modern dog could, could withstand things like that. Um, and there's definitely going to have to be more to the conversation. I mean, it's a very, 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 large, um, large, uh, big set of shoes to fill in terms of this department and I, and I don't think it can be answered in one episode. So anyway, here is the gun dog notebook live, uh, episode recorded on Instagram with Terry Chastain jr. And I, um, and Terry has a whole lot of good things. And we get to a few listener questions that popped up as well. There's Terry hopping in. Boom. Add Terry in. All right. Let's see what we got here. Terry. Hey, bud. What's up, buddy?
1: How you doing,
0: man? Man, I'm up here trying to make a little magic happen with all of this technology stuff, man. (laughs) Can you
1: check your mail research that way?
0: uh-uh. What's in the mail?
1: Oh, uh, about four weeks worth of uh, American Fields that finally got sent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I'm going to definitely go check it then. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, man, I, was like, I feel like, I told my wife, I said, I feel like I haven't gotten American Field in a while. Yeah. You know, we kind of, whoever goes by the mailbox checks it. Oh, yeah uh, she checked it today, and there's a stack of them uh, looking. <laughs> And I was just flipping through right here. Um I saw the for the George Oak and Quail Championship. Uh, uh, man, you know, and then I opened up and got the dogs nominated for the twenty twenty national championship, you know, some of that. I was like, I don't really enjoy looking at that before the national championship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm about to say, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. the same way, man. I so all right, so this is my guilty thing about American field and I um Hang on, Can't, there we go. So this is this is my thing, my my guilty thing about American Field. I only read the stuff that's like on this half of the country, and I'm so bad about that. Yeah, I I, I really and I I'll read out west and stuff like that, but it'd be so much, and I get them faster than I can read through them.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've uh, you know, when I when I've got the time, I will try to make myself sit down and read about the Brittany Trials and yeah. the Beasley Trials and, and the Pointer Trials out west um, because it's all good. Oh, it's awesome. Sport. It's all
0: awesome, yeah.
2: It's
1: all good. Anything for this sport is good. Yep. Um, even if you don't do it, you need to support it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just tough to read about you know, I mean, you hear about them only in the field, but right. You know, if they don't get out to these trials in the east and you don't get to know them, you know, that's what I love to read about. People right. Oh, man, yeah, I know he's been having a good year with this dog, or man, hey, you know he hadn't hit on much this year, but I mm-hmm. love reading you know he good. He got a win right there you
0: know right. well, and what i've I've even started to do is um, and I do this with horse racing too. um, <laughs> I just like tracking certain you know particular dogs, especially mm-hmm. like the super young ones. like I thought it was cool that I had been reading about like way better Rocky and stuff like that. And then we ended up being in a trial and, and and you get to see that dog perform, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or or things like that, um, you know, um, you know, my personal favorites, Valiant and stuff like that, where you see how these dogs are contending all the way through, right. um, yep. you know. And then honestly, paying attention to, you know, other lines like, you know, I told you before, admittedly, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the Aaron's dog, Sean Derrick's stuff. Until somebody mentioned it to me, and I was like, huh, let me go back and look, you know, and and and, and retrace my steps. And that's just, yeah. it's just so much good stuff in there, man.
1: Yeah. It's hard to find a, a page in the field that has anything about knowledge championships without seeing something that either Sean Dare's dog mm-hmm. that he's run
0: mm-hmm.
1: or something that comes from his kennel. Come from you his know, kennel.
0: He, yeah. And so I felt like a goof. You know what I'm saying? For not doing my due diligence and and going, you know, and, and and putting a lot of my time and energy paying attention to that stuff. I was like, dang, like what I've been, you know, like <laughs> it's just something that I felt like should have been obvious. You it's know. Um, you know, but you know, Terry, I'm I'm glad to have y'all here, man. And we were talking about this last night, and I, and this is uh it's always good to have that in person conversation and stuff like that. But yeah. you've been around for a long time right like and by being no, around not, I mean that
1: was about 29 years
0: <laughs> it's, you know it's, it's, it's a few minutes here and there <laughs> but 29 years you know growing up in it and having you know dog men on both sides of your family so and, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know this until you told me but your your grandfather on your mom's side was a dog man and then yeah. um that's Lauren right there what's up Lauren But um, your grandfather on your mom's side was a dog, man. And then your dad, you know, has worked at Melrose for shoot forever, you know, and he and he's got a record
1: is 40, about forty fourth season here
0: on Melrose. Good Lord, man. (laughs) for him to go to the coast and just, you know, <laughs> yeah, bring yeah. back to fish every now and then. It, what so let me ask you this like did, when dog men retire, what what do they actually do? Like, what's next? Because that's an actually a really cool job to have if you think about it. What do you do after that?
1: Well, um a couple of oldest dog men that I know would be, you know, Billy Henley. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rex Hodges and uh, Billy—he still—he can't quit messing with him. Yeah, he's—I oh, hes like eighty-three years old. Yeah, um, he's been doing it since he was a teenage boy, and he's still out there. You know, he, you don't see him on a horse much. I—we had our local club trial um, back the weekend after quail season went out, and he was there. You know, riding the riding his. Kawasaki mule or whatever he was on, you know, drinking mm. his little ice drink and, <laughs> and telling us all what we were doing wrong, and that's uh-huh. what they do. When they retire, they tell us all we, all the guys that are still doing it, what we're doing wrong, and how much better their dogs were.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So
1: they make it hard. For us. That's what they do when they retire.
0: Right. Right. And, and 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 rightfully so. You know, you gotta you gotta get in and, and earn your strengths. I earned it.
1: <laughs> and what do you say? You know, what do you say to somebody like that? You know
0: nothing you just, just do it better
1: you just say
0: yeah, all right <laughs> you don't say not a dang thing and you just do it better well because of this i thought you um and i got some insights from tommy uh rice i had him uh i, I asked him a couple of same questions too and he gave me some insights so i'll add that to this conversation but i thought it was kind of cool that you've got such a long history and you would be able to talk about this. But the subject of what I really want to get into is just, you know, the toughness of dogs you didn't had. And, and I've had the conversation, but I'm sure you've really gotten it on whether or not dogs were tougher than, uh, you know, dogs from the old days were tougher than the ones that we have today. Um, And the other night, I think we, we did a pretty good, good job in what like maybe 45 minutes to an hour conversation on trying to determine what a standard was but anyway that's kind of where we're going with this for all the listeners so what were some of the um the the contrasting thoughts that your your father had um on the dogs today versus the dogs he had way back when and I you know I, I like that photo that you put up so I'm gonna ask you about that
1: oh yeah man yeah I was like oh, I need to I want to throw out you know Shout out to Darrell here and try to get as many listeners as we can for them. And
0: well, you know, like,
1: I can't just throw up a picture of a, a litter of lab puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Please look. You know, I was like, but actually, I don't know. That might have worked. We might have, you know, that might have worked. But uh, I was like, there's one. And it was, uh, for anybody that saw that, that was the 1988 Continental Derby Championship mm-hmm. champion and runner up. Uh, and I've, I, 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 Threw it up hastily i didn't move the text around enough you could see faces of the people standing behind the dog so that was uh, joe bush holding uh Fred rails dog mm-hmm. that was uh a litter mate if it was a full litter mate or half litter mate to my father's dog that was being held by billy henley um but both of them if they were full litter mate um, i know they were by filler's pride and Fred Rails dog went on to win a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's dog that was Melrose Buck. And he went on to win the Masters. Um, you know, I won't say, he may have been the Georgia Derby, the All-Age Derby of the Year that year as well. But, yeah. um, but anyway, so that's just an, old, an oldie that uh, somebody dug up sent it to us not long ago. They took a picture of it hanging on the wall from somewhere.
0: Yeah, well, we got but, we um, got to use that as the official cover. So I'll like you know jazz it up yeah, for this particular episode. Yeah. But anyway,
1: um, so talking about differences in the dogs of today versus Dad's dogs of yesteryear. Um, yeah, they were they were hard dogs like then. And I, I remember watching them working them and and hearing about them, you know, from back in the seventies. And I wasn't there, but I heard all about them. Um, they were just tough. It was it was it was it was tough to get those dogs to where you needed them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and they didn't have electric collars like we had. now well, they did have electric collars, but it wasn't. <laughs> they didn't have knit and vibrate right. and tone and. Low intensity, one to you know, all the way, all that, you know. Right. Um. It was off, or it was all the electricity at once until you let the button go. Right. Um. Uh-huh. So most people didn't use them, but they had four ten shotguns and and they had <laughs> flushing whips and mm-hmm. they had you know the spike choke collars, you know the leather, you know what I'm talking about, the yeah. leather Choke collars with spikes in them, and they had and them, spi- and them spikes
0: weren't dulled down either, like the ones today. They it just you know yeah
1: no yeah they yeah and they they whipped them they they shot them in the butt they you know threw them over a limb and hung them up and then beat on them until they were tired and they handed to the flush up to the scout they beat been on them until they were tired and they let the dog down and the dog tried to bite them you know yeah yeah <laughs> they were yeah
0: and so, we're um, talking about the 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 40s 50s 60s 70s like we're talking about a yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah and i and then into the '80s, you know, I, you know, it was kind of think, you know, the shot callers, shot—they don't call shop callers anymore. That's what they called them growing up. Well, that's shop what it was—a shot callers, I mean, they would come a long way, right? Shot caller, yeah, right. Um, but they didn't have that stuff, and you know, some of these dogs were hard-headed, um, and tough, and that's what it took to break them and get them there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they wouldn't quit on you you know they could the dogs that could take it to get broke um you know they'd take that licking and most of them would keep on ticking, and if they didn't, they moved down the road mm-hmm. but um yeah, you know, they're just hard tough dogs it's hard hard on the dog but it was hard on the dog man right
0: right, and you know obviously we don't we don't practice that anymore, you know, for the, the listener that's looking, listening like, Oh my God, what in the world? But yeah, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Let me make that clear. We
0: ain't doing that no more, but I do want to, you know, I just like to be real about history, man. Like I really do. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where the further you get into this, the further you, you start to read back and you can even kind of dissect, um, you know, you can you can kind of dissect um books and stuff that I'm reading. You know, I, I told you the two books that I, I've been really, really into um is my 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 Jack Harper book and Ed Ferrier. You know, these two. And yeah. you know, I mean it was what it was. So going back, Ed Ferrier opens up and he talks about riding from Alabama to, and you know this, riding from Alabama to Canada. In a Ford Model T. <laughs> you
1: know what I've I'm saying? Got, I've got my iPad kind of like propped up. Yeah. And
2: that's
1: one of the books I've got prop propped up. I got the Bible, Ed Farrier, the Reflections of Dog Man and Bird Dogs, whatever yeah. it's called, and then about three issues of American <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> you're you doing exactly it right. What you're talking about. I mean, and, yeah, and it's a heck of a book, man, because it really does break down... Um, A lot of the the dogs that were influential to early American pointer lines and some of the setters Uh there. But my you know, what made me think about this question is the fact that, number one, these dogs, they were driving in a Ford Model T, which wasn't a very fast car, nor was it very comfortable to get. From Alabama to Canada, and they were putting these dogs on trains. You know what I'm saying? And they were the old school dog boxes. You know, and it 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 just everything was so much more raw. You know, they some of them they got on the little passenger carts or 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 trains like that, and they were they had hay in the corner, the dog go shit in the corner. You know what I'm saying? And let them out and bring them in, and then there was exchanges. There were just all of these things that would honestly that are very very stressful on a dog. And yet, now,
1: nowadays, somebody, if, if people saw the way that, what it took to get dogs up north, they'd be like, oh,
0: that's animal cruelty. Right, right,
1: right. But, I mean, that's just what it was, though.
0: Back then, you I know? mean, shoot,
1: man. If it, you it, 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 it looked at the way people that traveled out west from, you know, when they said, all right, we're going to cross the Appalachian Mountains and go, go to California, they said that was child cruelty. Right. <laughs> you know, that's right. that's what there was at the time
0: and you know and i just i i like dissecting history because i mean it puts it all into perspective you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like and i could even go further man like it's not even okay you know i'm black and the references that jack harper makes Wait, towards what? right <laughs> well it, 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 not that not to be stating the obvious but the references that Jack Harper makes about black folks and, and how Ed Ferry and all of those guys just reference in the book, I mean, it wasn't kosher, but that's what people, that's how people were talking. So for me, it's that's like, all it right, is. this is... It doesn't make it right. It doesn't that's make like it But that's, that's just how it was. That's just what it was. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, I got my grandparents and stuff like that, that if I listen to them close enough, a lot of their lingo and stuff still sounds a lot like that back then. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And and that's just what it was. So when I dissect history and stuff, I'm like, all right, when people ask me, you know, or you, what makes a dog tougher either now or then? Well, first of all, one of the standards, I just want to look at the times. I just want to, you know, look at the times and see, okay, a lot of dogs were considered tough because like our dogs nowadays, they're never gonna have to worry about going through distemper. You know what I'm saying? I in totally. <laughs> like in Jack it's, it's, b- it's, right I mean
1: it'd be a low percentage, but you know mm-hmm. it's uh not like it was then.
0: Right. You know, and, and, and they say, um, where'd that statement come from where they say well, not training a dog until he's a year old well that's not because the dog wasn't yeah. ready <laughs> that's because most of the dogs died before they were a year old you know what I'm saying
1: well, you know there's a um, you know I have a book it's called uh, training your retriever you know I also train you know Moan Labs, uh, that we use on hunting wagon and then I use personally and that was written by James Lamb Back in the late 30s, early 40s, he was he was an amateur that won the National Open Retriever Championship, and that if anybody out there you know enjoys reading and you know is in the retriever training too, that's like, that's like the Bible of retriever training. Mm-hmm. You cannot find a book, a DVD, or a seminar of any of the top retriever trainers today, and and watch it or read it without a handful of times going, wait a minute. That sounds familiar. I feel like I read that somewhere. Right. And that was, you know, I mean, that was one of the first big major books on that that really shaped the thing um, in retriever training. And, and yet, and he talks about not training until they're a year old. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't train until a year old. I mean, you know, I got a litter of puppies, lab puppies. you seen pictures of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were born last Friday. Yep. You know, in September, they're going to be picking up doves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. They're, they're you know, we're starting stuff as soon as they can. We hit the ground running, you know. Mm-hmm. When they're eight or nine weeks old, we're coming to the bird box and we're going to be chasing some quail and getting them birdie. Right. But but you're absolutely right. For me, folks, back then, it was a year before they started doing anything with the dog besides just general socializing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, you know, I even think now, like, folks go out and, and, and register their dogs, you know what I'm saying, as soon as they get them. That wasn't yeah. a thing back then. <laughs>
1: How hey, you doing Still like, uh, you know, I still barely, you know, I kind of wait till they place something <laughs> for a register. Them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you yeah, I mean, we got the litter registered, but you know, because I mean, you hate to waste a good name on a dog that's just going to be
0: <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. Like, and that's just the real love of it. I mean, you know, I think Terry, there's a point where you get into the dog world and and you start to have to make decisions. You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like, all right, well, having one dog. okay, cool. If I spend what is it to register a dog and field dog stuff? But like for a five generation pedigree, it might be one hundred dollars. Might be okay, Um, It might be less.
1: It's twenty five to register a dog. Um, If they're over a year old, I think it goes up to 50. Yeah. But then yeah, if you want to get their, you know, the the pedigrees that they print that they print out and you know the real nice, you, know, you can get them framed and yeah, that goes on up. But right.
0: right. And and so I mean, for one dog that's not really a, a financial loss, but you know guys like you y'all are down there, how many dogs you got at Melrose? A a, a good handful of them.
1: We got, you know, we're not the biggest kennel in Thomas and Greater County. Um but we don't have to be because we don't hunt as much as some of these. Some of these places are hunting a half days a season. Right. Um, But we've got, let's see, eight and eight is 16, 17, 18, 19. So, I mean, we've got 19, you know, broke. And that's including two retrievers and, you know, three derbies. And, um, and then we've got three, you know, spring puppies. Yeah. Uh, 2020, you know, 19, 20, 22. But then we've got 11 pointer puppies that were born Thursday and seven lab puppies that were born Friday. I mean, yeah, that's a bunch of dogs. Right. And then you start registering them and they just, it adds up.
0: Right. And so it ain't cheap. So Derek,
1: and- congratulations at the Cocker trial. <laughs> oh, nice. Congrats. You no, you're Carson. good. You're he good. Did. He, yeah, Derek Harden, he's won the Cocker trial the open I think three years in a row now. Shit. <laughs> That's what's up.
0: Well, congratulations. Hey, but I will
1: say, you know, and, you know, I, I think I heard there's some people were pissed off about him winning it three years in a row, but
0: How do you how are you pissed off I about are, a win?
1: I'm not. <laughs> but some people, you know, they just cuz they, you know, the same person keeps winning, you know, they get mad cuz they want to win, but there's probably not been there's probably not a there's probably not a retriever in the world that's picked up more quail than the retrievers on any of the Jim Land Company plantations that you know, especially between you know Norris and Ring Oak and uh, Cherokee where Derek is. Yeah.
0: Derek um, said they, need, they to need to get used to it. I'd
1: say right. <laughs> uh, it, it, it either be Jim Land Company or Horseshoe Plantation. Yeah. Their dogs probably pick up or uh Yeah, they probably pick up more quail than any other any other place in the world.
0: Well then so well, they're very then, used to losing. Right. I'm saying like I mean the numbers don't lie at that point in time. If they're picking up more birds, come on now. <laughs>
1: they got six month old dogs that are picking up five hundred that have picked up five hundred birds by the time they're
0: six months old, you know? Right. So I mean it's it's a no brainer at that point in time so well congratulations man and keep whooping ass (laughs) keep on whooping ass um so terry tell me this what does your dad say about about some of these dogs man like what are some of the stories that he's he's told you or you know your or stories about your grandpa's dog there we go can you hear me I hear you. you hear there me? we go. Yep, got you. All right, we we good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's that coronavirus. It's that
1: coronavirus man.
0: <laughs> okay, so now we we back in It's, You know, problem solving. So anyway, stories That's from
1: probably good just to get it back on track
0: and stop talking about daggum coppers. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I still want one though. I do want one. I really do. So. <laughs> You know, they good house
1: dogs, man. Wives
0: love them. <laughs> well, my, uh, I got to convince mine to let any of my dogs back in the house because she is loving not having any dogs in the house anymore. My lab had a, that joke there was shed and we kicked him out. <laughs> oh, <man>. oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, stories about your dad's dog, granddad's dogs. Like, g- give me give me something that really stands out to you.
1: Um, well, I guess we'll go in order. My granddad, Tommy Robinson, up Pavo, Georgia, right outside Thomasville. Um, you know, he was a I mean, he was a dog man. He handled dogs. He he broke a couple dogs. Um, he did, he he bought most of his dogs though. Um, he goes you know out to Mississippi, I think it was near Tupelo
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to Gordon Simmons' kennel and he bought a couple dogs from there and uh you know he he had some litters he raced and broke some dogs for sure right. um but most of them he bought them but he, he didn't break he, he bought the majority of them okay but he also had 500 head of uh rama cattle and row crops and all that so i mean take a lot of time to break dogs oh he oh, he also had five daughters in a one bed, two bedroom farmhouse. So.
0: Right, Mister Bowman. No, he was judging <laughs> that was at the uh, at the, the the handlers trial. Sorry. Um, What's up, Mister? Oh, yeah. Cupcake? Yeah. but
1: um, <laughs> uh, you know he had um, you know he had some good dogs. Just you know he did he did not field trial. He mm-hmm. strictly hunted. Um, he he leased the farming and hunting rights from the Bryce plantation. Um, which was um. Out near Sand Hill, just a outside of Pavo, which is owned by Judge Bryce about out of Osceola, at the time, which is now Pelucas Plantation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Sundial just won. And, uh, huh? Sundial just won that championship too.
1: Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jason Loper developed that dog, know um, uh, Tommy Rice is handling them now He's doing a good job with him. But uh, yeah, so that same property that Jason was developing those, is developing dogs on now and hunting a lot on now. My grandfather back, you know, many, many years ago was hunting that and, and working his dogs on that. So that's pretty neat to be able to go out there now and then and, you know, work some dogs. But, uh, you know, he took a Jeep, had some tough old dogs, and some some rich pine. Right. I <laughs> wanted to hunt wild birds. And, uh, you know, he, he had dogs, you know, he didn't feel trial but, you know, he had dogs that went back to, you know, Riggins White Knight. Mm-hmm which, you know, that's kind of the foundation of what the Miller dogs are today. Right. If I'm wrong, anybody out there that's a Miller fan, I'm sorry, but that's my understanding and it's, what
0: I've seen Miller said it on one of my other episodes.
1: Okay, well, good. All right. Um, <laughs>
0: I got you covered. <laughs>
1: thank you, buddy. Yeah, so, I mean, so that's neat to know that my granddaddy had some Riggins White Knight in his kennel. Yep, yep. Um, and they were tough, you know, and he had some my cousins, uh, one of my cousins is also a dog trainer Chris Raybird, on um, for shaley's plantation
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, who he has my grandfather's old electric collar system really and I mean it, I don't know if he has the actual you know transmitter but I know he's got the collars and it, you know it's on or off right and i I remember my dad and my mom talking about it he did not use it much because it he'd ruin a dog right because it was just hot. Hot, hot, hot. Mm-hmm. So he had flushing whips and you know pinch collars and but you know he ran them off a of jeep, so they had to handle, right? Um, and he, you know, he ran them. You know, he hunted a lot, so he had them hunted down. But you know, when you got the jeep, you can't just take off for the woods and go mm-hmm. grab one by the ear and you know, like you can if you got a scout or something?
0: Mm-hmm. So they had
1: to handle. So he had to be tough on them. Yeah, but that's that's what there that's what was around back then.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So I, uh, I mean, it's, that's just a different life, man. And, um, you know, and I guess I don't want folks to, I kind of want to do this because I want people to to be aware of like the resources that we got now and you know what it really took to train a dog. So that leads me to my next thing, man. And I'm going to kind of jump around on, on this particular, uh, episode with the questions, but do you think that that what do you think about leaving fingerprints on a dog? Because you hear that a whole bunch. And they had to have left quote unquote fingerprints on dogs if they weren't using collars and things like that. But I you and I both agree on this. You know, I'm pretty hands on and I think you are too with 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 a dog. Mm -hmm. Um you know
1: and when people say you know, there's different kinds of fingerprints. You got positive fingerprints. You got negative fingerprints. You know, from either. You know, when I say positive, I mean you know building them up, mushing them up, as Willie Lundy would have said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got your, ne- I guess you could say negative, negative the dog's head because that's fingerprint lifting discipline. Um, and you know, there's you know the there's a lot of people out there now that you know I'm talking major field trial circuits, Handlers and trainers, contenders that are winning a lot, and they they believe in you know you don't touch them yeah at all. It seems like and uh, and I, I see the way I see the way they're doing it and they're being successful. Um, but I but I want to get down there and put some fingerprints on that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in in a more so in a positive way than a negative way, right? You know, I want to I want to walk out there and kick those birds up, and you know, shoot the gun and come back to them. And man, thank you, bud. Good job, good dog. And rub them up, Make them feel good. They're like, man, this feels good. Or mm-hmm. even go out there. Um, you know, one of the things that I'll do. I don't like to do it necessarily in a in a, a workout. You know, when I'm when I'm on the horse and they point. I see them pointed, because I don't, you hope there's birds there, right. but you don't want to give them a positive reaction if there's no birds, have no productive, you know what I mean? Right. But, so, you know, like I would do at the bird box, you know, with the, with the, with the pin-raised bird, or like I would do, you know, I'll, I'll carry a young dog with me, or I'll, I'll carry my field to my shooting dog with me, on the tractor, when I'm feeding birds, or blocking, or whatever I'm doing, and if I see a covey get up and walk them down, I let the dog out, and they go point them. Now I know. Those birds are right there. My dog's right here. Mm-hmm. They got to know, you know, and I know what the wind's doing, so I'll work them. And it's almost like I'm at the bird box, mm-hmm. but it's all the positives of the bird box, but none of the negatives of the bird box, mm-hmm. plus the And they get pointed, and I'll, I'll slip in there as quiet as I can and just rub them up. Right. Mush them up. Um, and the whole time, they just... In that pipe and you know, smelling that bird scent, and thinking, Man, it feels good, it feels real good. It's all right, Brandon. There's, there's not but uh, or Andrew, there's not benign people, so it's not <laughs> that secret. Ain't gonna spread too far. Um, and, and and most of them probably aren't on tractors on plantations, so it's okay. Um, so they're sitting there and they're thinking, Man, smell those birds. I'm standing here. And I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm not chasing them. And man, it feels good to just stand here. Mm-hmm. And my, my master, he's loving on me. He's mushing me up. Maybe this is what I just do from now on. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I get a lot of my dogs broke like that. Yeah. And that's positive fingerprint. But some people would say, Terry James, that's the wrong thing. You don't need to put your hands on that dog. He just needs to do it. Mm-hmm. But I want him to do it for me.
0: Well, and that, so. You know, I'm not on a tractor and can't take my dogs everywhere. So I've kind of got to set up a situation a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Where I've created um, some some recall pin birds in the woods back behind my house. After a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks, they'll start acting, you know, fairly wild for the most part. But, you know, all of my putting my hands on the dog comes from barrel work. You know, that's my you know, that's my jam. And you know, and, and that's just the way I've learned it. But then by the time we I take that dog off of there, I know where those birds are back in the woods. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I go and, and I know what they're doing. So kind of like you, I can kind of pinpoint where they are and just lead my dog into it, work the wind and do this and do that. And then, you know, still, you know, love them up and stuff like that. Now, the big thing is... is doing all your talking or, or what little talking you probably should be doing for me is doing that on a barrel. And I got a real good learning lesson about not doing it while that dog is sitting there focused and pointing on birds. Whatever I got going on needs to happen while that dog ain't on birds, but whatever's going on, you know, with him and they're, and they're scenting birds and stuff. That's between him and God. <laughs> like that ain't got nothing to do with me, <laughs> but you know i want my dog to feel good about that like i said i mean it, to me it don't make no sense not to touch a dog like they want to do that and based on what you know the way that i've learned and stuff like that they enjoy that now in that last podcast that i had with um the black handlers
2: you know <laughs> I, I remember
0: <laughs> right that, it that, was
1: was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. I think it was better. I think it, I think I enjoyed listening to it better the second time when I had Joe Price in the truck. <laughs> when he
0: was sitting right there <laughs> well, with you. Oh man, with Joe with, with Joe was sitting fun, right there with you. One, I
1: enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> so look, Neil said something <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Neil said something kind of interesting in that episode. Talk about fingerprints talking about you know i think there's also vocal fingerprints that you can put on a dog right like he talks about being able to you know to handle a dog and control them and stuff like that with with the development of your voice and in this weird voodoo thing i call it weird voodoo that he 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 talk about controlling somebody else's dog Mm -hmm. (laughs) while he's running on a horse and i was just like dang like I guess people really can basically steal your dog in the middle of a trial. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. It sounds weird. But
1: i steal my dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: but de- depe- I, I agree, though. De- depending on some of the steps that you took and some of the ways that you trained, I think there, there are things that you can do to prevent your dog from getting stolen the way that you built your dog.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and if you don't do some of those things, it can make them easier for somebody to take the dog, whether they're doing it on purpose or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And wh- one of those things, there's a, uh, a man named, uh, Mr. Matlock, um, who is an old dog trainer down here. Um. And he uh let's see, so Lee Phillips, that's uh Trail South Kennels, mm-hmm. um, down here. That would have been his grandfather. Um, and he was an old, old school dog trainer and he had a lot of a lot of influence on stuff that my father did, you know, learned. taught him he taught a lot of these guys right. stuff around here. Um the one thing that he taught Lee that I got from Lee talking about it, um, and it's back when they used to throw them over their shoulder and by the collar, and you know they knock their covey, they go catch them and take them by the collar and throw them over their shoulder, and you know kind of choke them out. And this back in the day, y'all walking right. back to the covey, and um, you would think you know you're you're upset because this dog just bopped, just So you want to be like you know what what whoa whatever you say, and you're yelling in their yelling in their ear. That's not the thing to do. Because they're receiving something negative and they're hearing that. But back to what we were talking about. Throwing a dog over your shoulder. Dog, you know, if you're holding that dog over your shoulder. But not even that. That was just an example that Lee Phillips was telling me. That what he learned from Mr. Matlock, his grandfather. Um, that it applies to a lot of things. Just like when you're on the table. Working your dog on the bench. Or the barrel, I'm sorry. Um, you know, be soft when you're talking to him. Or woo, whatever word you use, mm-hmm. if you're saying anything like rubbing them up, be soft when you're talking to them. Um, and if you're correcting them out in the field, some, and you're giving them that discipline, if you're using your hands, and you're right there in their face, they can hear you. Right. Um, you know, if, and if you're giving that correction, whether it's smashing on their ear, or you're shocking them, or whatever you're doing, or whipping them. Um, back in the day, you know, if you're being loud with it, they're going to associate that loudness with that discipline. So then you get out there, and you're you're braced with a handler that's loud, that you know really hacking on their dogs hard. It'll, it'll shut your dog down.
0: Right, right. So, and that and that goes into the my my next point. So, before we even outline toughness, all right, because we 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 getting on a lot of good things are more folks ruining dogs what your thoughts are more folks ruining dogs with an e-collar and not knowing how to use a collar or are more folks too heavy handed and not knowing which I'm okay with a little bit a little bit of heavy handed and when it when when it's appropriate but are they too heavy handed and then don't know when to scale back is it, is it more of that or more of the collar
1: um I mean, this is just my, just my observation, all right? You know, there's a lot of people out there that have seen different things. Um, I think it, that there are more dogs getting ruined today by the collar. I'm talking about today, what's happened today. Right. There are more dogs getting ruined today by, you know, using too much collar, using too much electricity versus using too much of a heavy hand. Um. And part of that, I think, is from, you know, maybe it's improper collar conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one thing is for certain, when you're applying physical pressure to a dog, physical, that's from your hand or a flushing lip, whatever. They know it's coming from you. Right. They can understand that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If a dog has not been properly collar conditioned, even if they are properly collar conditioned. But if they're not properly color conditioned, they're not going to understand where that electricity is coming from. Right. They just know, holy crap, what's happening to me right now. And they don't know. So they're just going to stop. They're going to freeze up. And you can shut one down quick. And then you may never be able to put a tracking collar or a shot collar on that dog ever again because they're going to feel it and go, oh, it's on me. Right. I don't want to mess up.
0: Right, and um, now you think they're thinking too much. They're freezing up on you,
1: and, and they think it's coming. I don't know when or why, but it's coming. Um, um, where when you are putting that physical pressure on them, um, they can they know it's coming from you, and they know how to get out of it. Um, I kind i saw a good i thought i saw a good question that's coming up.
0: Was it Ace Ace and Pearl Hunt? What about changing training techniques multiple times and not sticking with your method till you get your result? Um, I think that was a good question. What do you think about that?
1: That's a good one. Um, consistency is key. Yeah, it's key. But dog training isn't isn't mathematics. It's not a formula. You don't take. You don't add. You know, A and B and get C. Not. another there's some dogs if you do that, but. um, You know, more often than not, it's, uh, it's more of an art, you know, you got to feel that dog. every. You know, you're a teacher, you know, students are all different. Yep. A student, you know, a dog is a student. You got to teach them what you want them to learn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you cannot discipline them, you know, properly and effectively for being incorrect until you know that you've taught them properly. Right. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, and uh so yeah you need to i mean sometimes training changing training techniques may be the right answer but you can't train them so you can't change them so rapidly you got to give them a chance mm-hmm. you know i've had dogs where i'm like man what i do is not working i need to think outside the box and try something different but i've tried my way long enough to know that it's not going to work All with right. that dog All right so then i may change it up and try a little something different Um. But you need to try, to but you need to be consistent with your discipline. And they do so if, if they if you get the incorrect response, you discipline that. Right. But the, the the you can't keep the dog guessing on how the distance coming with that. You know you need to be consistent with that. And um, but you need to be able to be flexible. I mean, if you, to be a real dog trainer and really be able to take you know a large amount of dogs and make the most out of what you got you've got to be able to be flexible with your training technique because Mm -hmm. it's not going to work on every dog and that's going to separate a a good dog man that's going to make a handful of dogs to a great dog man that's going to make a larger percentage of dogs right if that makes sense no it makes in in my opinion
0: no it makes it it makes perfect sense um
1: Cause there's some dog trainers out there that when, and I've heard them say it and I think to myself, do you not hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? Um, they leave their collar on 127. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And they say, say, well, that dog can't take it. He needs to move down the road.
0: No, man. Well, and, and that's, and see, that's, that's the other thing. So, Dang, Terry, you, you get into all the good stuff. And, and I want to acknowledge what Ty Patrick 22 said. He said he voted the collar. Everyone wants a million dollar dog overnight and thinks the e-collar is a quick fix. He's seen multiple times where the dog doesn't understand the command is given completely. I agree with that. Um I agree. Electricity is not the
1: answer. I, in every
0: case. In, not in every case. Now, let's now so now let's talk about the placement of electricity on a on a tough dog. I have yet to see a dog with a flank collar on before I even get to the placement of the collar. stuff we never actually broke down the standards of like what you think dictates a tough dog. And I think again, last night we were talking about, I think we came to turn, we came out of eye on that. I don't think a tough dog is, you know, Oh, it can, you know, I, I think toughness is probably more mental. Um, than it is physical I think so
2: okay
0: um so what makes a tough dog <sighs> the dogs today would not have had to deal I don't know a lot of trainers if any that are whooping up on dogs and stuff like that like they were doing way back when I just don't so I don't think because of the circumstances hey <laughs> um buddy uh, I don't. I don't see any dogs even having to worry about those type of conditions now versus then. Like so, a toughness is 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 endurance. Can a dog? You know, you brought up a good point yesterday. Being able to run anywhere between a half a one a hour and a half stake to a three hour stake, and being able to push it, having the 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 energy and and the the gas in the beginning and finishing like he started. I think that to mm-hmm. me is a tough dog. But then also um, being able to withstand various amounts of pressure mm-hmm. and, st- and not folding. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. I heard a guy tell me once, he was like, you know, if you, if you got to working on a dog and he started to fold after a little bit of pressure, then that dog, it, it it wasn't worth his time to train it anyway. And I mean a little bit of pressure. And you'll have some dogs that that bend and fold under those conditions. I'm talking about a dog that is resilient through the training. If you mess up, the dog understands, okay, we're trying to get somewhere. I ain't like that, but I'm gonna still, we're gonna still get through it with you. Um, right. And then also a dog that is, um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm looking for mental resilience in a tough dog because by now we should be with it with dogs that are running bigger and farther. We should be breeding for confirmation on a dog that can physically withstand the, the running conditions and things like that. What's your thoughts on it? Like, What is the standard for you?
1: You know, when you, you start talking about mental toughness in a dog, you're talking about psychology. That's tough. I'm no canine psychologist. <laughs> you right.
2: know,
1: I, I, I'm I barely stay married you know, <laughs> to, to my human. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I will say this. I'll, I'll say this, this. This doesn't have much to the toughness, but uh, and this this comes from. Uh, I know you know, uh, little Tommy. Tommy Ross, yep, have got on here. Tommy Right the third, all right? Something. Uh, his his daddy told me. Um, Uncle Tommy said. Uh, he and he's been training dogs for a long time. He says, uh, you know, you think you know, you know all about these dogs, and you know, you know a lot about dogs. Uh, he said, there's only one thing I know for sure about dogs: you don't feed them, they won't poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so to try to break down and to something as as finite as the psych- psychological mental toughness of the dog is tough. Um, that's hard. But, um, looking at the endurance trials, you know, it, it, it takes a tough dog to be able to do that. They can't quit. Um, a lot of that has to do with, um, no, oh, Kevin, I just, I just saw what it was before I even saw question. <laughs> He's just a hater. Um, <laughs> It's not a flip phone. It's an iPad, uh, but um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the tra- with, with how you have gotten the dogs in the shape, um, and and your training. Um, but they're still gonna be tough. Yeah,
2: you're
1: not gonna take a, a weak dog out there um, and get them to run an hour and a half to three hours. Um, and and there's some dogs that you know you may put the same amount of time into one dog as you do the other dog as far as conditioning, getting them ready to run an hour in, in, in the heat or an hour and a half or then the heat, heat. That adds a factor too. Yeah. Some folks don't ever get to see unless they come down here. Yeah. Um and uh and that's why that that is where I see toughness. Yeah. Is in the heat. Okay. Because, yeah, they may be running an hour and a half when it's 55 degrees and overcast and all that. There's a lot of dogs that can keep on pushing through there if they've been, um, they've been conditioned correctly. And, um, but when it gets hot like that, I take this, I take a special dog to push on
0: mm-hmm. through that heat. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, from my, I, I I'll tell you, man, like, and, and from, and, However much merit this has, but from, from my days of running, you know, college track at Albany State, you know how hot it get down in Albany. I mean, you're down there. Oh yeah. So I played play ball up there. There you go. <laughs> a, that,
1: you know, it's, it man. It, it's just hot Albany, and you know that stretch right there between Albany. You, know, you get a little bit north of Albany. I'd say it's probably bit.
0: about from Perry on down.
1: I think about as hot. Yeah. And if you get a little south of Thomasville, you start getting some of that sea breeze. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still hot, you got to breathe. But right there, Thomasville, the Perry, all that in between, mm-hmm. it's just hot, and it's still humid, and there's no breeze, and that's, that's hot. Right. That's heat.
0: And see, and I'm just thinking about it, like, all right, I'm a human being running the 400-meter hurdles, where the track, you would start to literally heat up, like you could feel the heat rising off the track, right? Yeah. So I'm imagining a dog that is anywhere between let's say 18 to 20-something to inches off the ground in humid conditions, <laughs> in a whole bunch of wiregrass, grass the whatever, in a bush.
1: There's no wind in the bushes. <laughs> it blocks all of it. You say, oh, it's not that hot up here. You get down on the ground, there's no wind on the bushes.
0: Right. And so how many dogs are willing to, to have that extra grit just say, screw it. You know what I'm saying? Like we just gonna keep doing this. And they're still they they've gotta keep where I say the mental part of it, how do you keep your wits about you, you know, and your style, you know, at, at the same time while you're burning up, dude. I mean, it's hot down there.
1: Yeah.
0: You um, know what
2: I'm
1: and you said you know, and, and you come down here, the, the best place to see the best place to see dogs do that, what you're talking about keep their style, you know, and just freaking kick it, kick up dust at the end, at the hour, as they did at the beginning of the hour. You know, some of the best places to see that is just down here in early March, mid-March, mm-hmm. some these, of these trials, that, you know, the Masters Championship, the mm-hmm. Southeastern Championship, for, for open shooting dog or open all that, or, you know, for, for the shooting dog or all that, whatever. Right. Because they're down here in March. If, I, I mean, more often than not, it's going to be 80 degrees, you know, um, getting up close to after 10, 11 o'clock. Right. You're going to have more dogs running in the heat than you are in the cool. Right. Um,
0: so let, let me and, ask you this down there. are y'all Now, are y'all training dogs for that? Like, I mean, I know a lot of guys wake up early in the morning before the heat really picks up. But, like, how are you conditioning your dogs to, to withstand that? Because it feels totally different in Atlanta than it does – you know, down in Thomasville.
1: Um, You know, my, my hunting dog, I'll get there in the morning and, you know, it's, it, you know, i still, I start roading my field trial dog, you know, way early in the season. Mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, you know, if you're going to run in trials in October and you're going to run an hour and it's hot in October in South Georgia and lower Alabama right. and North Florida um, and it's hot in November, it's hot in the first of December. It's just <laughs> um, hot. It's just hot, <laughs> you know. But yeah. uh, um, you know, you, really, I, you know, I try to get started roading my field trial dogs at least, you know, in August. Okay. Um, and the guys that go north now, you know, I don't, I don't go north. Um, I, I, I'd like to go north. Not this coming summer. But next summer, maybe start going some more. In fact, um, for some other reasons. But uh, some of those guys start roading them in July. You know, wait. You know, in the middle of the summer then you know, yeah. in June because they're trying to get the dogs in shape before they get up there if you talk to them and it's not all of them but some of them are you know they're like yeah I rode a dog at four o'clock this morning <laughs> yeah because it was only 72 degrees at four o'clock this
0: right morning. <laughs> right okay
1: it's not humidity but um but yes I'll I will intentionally rode my field trial dog to the middle of the day okay. Um, to try to put them in some of those hotter scenarios to try to get them tough in the heat, um, I'm very, very careful to do that right um, very, very careful when I'm doing that I mean, I'm talking i'm I'm I have a ton of water on the boiler, I'm getting them in the creeks, you know, right so they can really full body cool off
0: um, I mean you're you're taking care you of them, yeah. Back.
1: I'm taking care of them. You know, you've got to. Right. Um, You know, maybe we won't, maybe we won't go an hour and a half or two hours on that session in the heat. Right. But they're at least getting something in the heat. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I can't speak for everybody, but but yes, I think that it should be done. If you're, if you want your dog to be competitive at the best that it can be, you need to be roading them in conditions they're going to be running in. Right, because if you rode your if you rode your dog at, at six o'clock every single morning, and the only time they ever get turned loose when it's hot is at the field trial, they're going to be like, "Whoa! They're going to blow! They're going to blow up! What is right. you know what is this?"
0: Right. right. All right. So I I want to get a couple of listener questions in too. I had we had two good ones come in while you were talking. So Tyler Patrick, yeah. twenty two, um, asked, um, "Where do you draw the line?" We're talking about drawing lines. Where do you draw the line between? A tough dog and a hard headed dog, and then we had Derek Moosehead along the same lines. Ask where do you draw the line for a gun shy dog? Um, well, let's
1: uh let's address top pathic twenty two. Where do you draw the line between tough and hard headed? Um, you know that it, it depends on you know like Darrell and I were talking about earlier. You know what what do you consider tough? um tough physically, like a dog can go and bust up the briars and they don't care and they're moving on, or tough like they can, you know, take the flushing and whip and be like, All right, I did wrong. Let's do better next time. Right. Um and when I when I'm thinking of dog, man, that's a tough dog, I'm more thinking of man, that dog can take the physical pressure and um and then continue on and not fold. Mm-hmm. But, and I think that's what you're getting at, um, Ty. Um, because then you have some that are just freaking hard-headed.
2: they just not going to do it, it at all. And, and
1: but... you know, a, a good tough dog, okay, maybe maybe we're getting at the answer now. A good tough dog can will take that physical pressure if, if that's how you're applying it. Um, or the electric pressure if that's how you're applying it. And learn from it,
0: <laughs> right? And and we'll stop can, you know doing what? the same mistake.
1: Yeah, they can take it, but they're going to learn from it and go. You know what? I'm going to do better next time, right? Because um, they don't want to get they don't want to get the flesh and lip. They don't want to get snatched by the ear. They don't want to get burned up by the collar or you know or our neck or whatever. But then you got some, and and that's what a lot of these dogs that they called tough back in the day, back in my dad's time, back in my granddad's time. They were tough, but they were tough. <laughs> they were hard headed, mm-hmm. um, and that's just what it took to break them. Right. Um, so there's a line between tough and hard headed. I've had some hard headed ones, and you know sometimes you got to think outside the box to figure out what you can do. Because I mean, you can you can only turn up your electric collar so high. You can only, You can only whip on them so much before it's abuse. Abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard some people say, you know, the first three you know, the last of the flush
0: and the for the dog and the rest of them
1: are for the for the man. right um,
0: so I don't know if I've answered your question or not. I think so. But, um, I think that was actually very good um determination. They can
1: be one of the same.
0: <laughs> right. Well I I I think there's a, a level to it. Like and again I don't want anybody to, to get on here and thinking about you know, misinterpret what we're saying. So
1: Right. I'm not telling you to go out there and beat up your dog. Please don't right.
0: think I'm saying that. <laughs> like, you know how social media is. Like, no, nah, we're not talking about man, that. I'm
1: going to have up. Wait. Oh, <laughs>
0: at my front door right now. Right. <laughs> They'll come knocking, man. But, you know, just being able to, I mean, there are guys, man, that I've seen run dogs and they got that collar crank so high, man. And. I mean, you literally see the the dude hit that bad boy and the dog go barreling. You know what I'm saying? Like dog <laughs> and you you sit and be like, what in the world? And they're all they're doing is is lighting them up, lighting them up, lighting them up, lighting them up. But the dog's not learning anything.
1: Like Ty said.
0: <laughs> dog <laughs> right. don't hunt. Right. That 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 dog don't hunt, period. Um, so let's go to the the next question um that we had from uh Derek Moosehead, which was Hey man. Um,
1: Long time last year, Derek.
0: Oh, you know Derek. Okay.
1: Yeah, he was he was uh he lived in Thomasville for a little while. He was on the D U committee with mean, He's a good
0: guy, I like him. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, you know, he asked, uh, where do you draw the, draw the line for a gunshot dog? And I think this is a, a very good question as well.
1: Um I think no, no dog is born gunshot. Right. That's man. I think, I think gunshot is man-made. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, I've seen, there's some dogs I've seen that, I mean, had one recently. Um, I mean you could shoot a, I guess, could walk up and shoot a double barrel 20 gauge over the top of her head. And she's going to stand there. Look like a million dollars. Right. But if you're 60 yards away with a hammer and a nail fixing something at the top, she's going and she just freaks out. Right. Um, but I don't think gunshots, that's not in that's not the dog when they're born. That's something that is, that's a development issue. Um, they weren't properly trained around that gun. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. So I guess you could. Well, all right. Well, I guess you could say gun shyness is born into a dog because if you just walk up to a dog that's never been around a gun and you shoot a a twelve or twenty gauge shotgun around it, yeah, they're probably gonna freak out about it. Well, that's Um, but that's
0: that's still man made because that would never happen in a a dog. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it would never happen in a dog's natural environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you know, and I guess what Derek is asking is, okay how long am I going to deal with this gunshot dog before I just call it quits? Like we need to move on and, and because I've heard of stories like that where it, 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 you, everybody in the world and try to fix this dog. And and that dog is absolutely terrified of that gun. Yeah. That's a,
1: that's a hard, that's a hard problem to fix. That's one of probably one of the hardest ones there is to fix. Um, and, all, you know, you gotta you got to think outside the box. you got to do all kinds of things to try to fix that dog. Um, and I'll say this going forward for anybody that's got a dog, that they're, you know, a young dog, a pup, or may not have to be a pup, a dog that's never been around the gun that you're going to eventually want to shoot a gun around. It is so easy to take your time and do the right thing. It is so easy to just take your time and do the right things now, compared to trying to fix the problem of them getting gunshot later. Right.
0: You Tyler said, thinking? "Let's take him to the trap shoot." <laughs> yeah.
1: No, don't no, do no, that.
0: Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know,
1: it, it's just—it's just too easy. It's yeah. too easy to do all the right things and take a little more time and make sure your dog is not gunshot. Right. If you—if you—if you've ever done the right thing. And then uh and your dog worked and then try to take a dog that you may you know, maybe you didn't have that dog during that time where you were teaching it to be you get a dog that's already gunshot. I like, guess, hey man, I got this gunshot dog, can you fix it? It is exponentially harder yep. to fix a dog that's already gunshot than it is to create a dog not be gunshot. Right.
0: Right. I agree. Um it is and and i think part of that is you know folks getting jitter you know you get this springtime dog and <laughs> everybody want to get the dog ready and 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 be shooting over him and that pup just figured out what birds are like you know what i'm saying like yeah um it it's just one of those things where it's like all right what's more important having a dog that knows this game got you know develops manners on birds and things like that and to me, that's a, an ego thing. You know what I'm saying? For for trainers, it's like, a, oh, I got this dog broke. Or, you know, I, I'm shooting over this dog already. And it's like, no, nah, dude, but the dog's scared as hell. Or you've got, you know, guys that are rushing, 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 rushing. And I do understand the pressure. I mean, I'm sure you know guys yeah. like this that, I mean, it's y'all's job to get these dogs ready for the next season. Yeah. But there's there's still a pace to it. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody like me, I'm going to get my dog. I can take as much of my sweet time as I can. I mean, as I want to, to start shooting over a dog. But for guys like you, where, I mean, again, it's your job. You you got clients that are coming in that folks want to start hunting. I just think that you know if you read that dog and you learn it, it doesn't matter what job you got or or how what your time limit looks like. Take the time with the dog, do it right and and you won't be taking steps backwards
1: that's right and and you know and that that applies to everything in dog training
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know we talked about this uh when you were getting ready, you know getting uh honeymoon in Vegas ready for the Rocky Creek Derby yep. You know, I just kind of threw it out there as like a, you know, I know you're excited, but just let's be, just keep this in mind. And, um, and I have to remind myself sometimes, yep. the goal was not to,
0: It's not to make a
1: puppy, make, create a winning, to create a, and this is, you know, so we're going to, I'm going to address it in the field trial sense and then the hunting dog sense. Field trial sense, we'll do that first. The goal is not to make, create a winning derby. Right. To create the best derby out there. I mean, yeah, you want to have them be the best derby out there. The goal is to is to develop a champion at yeah. the shooting dog or all those levels. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. So don't don't risk ruining the dog at the derby trying to get them to a place that they can win a derby stake. Right. You see what I'm saying? Same thing about the on hunting dog style. Don't you know? Yeah, everybody. Everybody wants to say, "Yeah, man, did that hunting dog right there? He's seventeen months old. And that that happened. Yeah, we had a dog in the hunting string, big. Yeah, we saw him run the black hunter straw.
2: Yep,
1: and he was seventeen months old. He was the top bird dog in the string. That's not that's
0: not normal. Right, <laughs> big is a, is a very he, nice dog. I mean, he got a lot going for him. That's so. that's
1: God's gift to Melrose. That right. was just that's just a good clean living, you know." Right. <laughs> uh But yeah, the goal isn't to say, "Man, yeah, look at how quick I created this this hunting dog." How, how awesome is that? I just like look at how great this dog is. You know, another year, but and you know, I this awesome dog year after year after year after year. It's going to perform for me every year.
0: Right. Right. I'm looking at the long game, and I, you know and i uh long
1: game you gotta play long game i play long dog, game. you're gonna have that dog for you know we'll just say 10 years you mm-hmm. know some sometimes it might be eight It might be 12 whatever we'll say just 10 years don't you gotta live with that you know you gotta live with that dog for a for a long time after you get them broke right so take your time in the beginning and do it right so you can have the best thing you can for the maximum amount of time
0: right well, and I, you know, and I, I definitely appreciate you even, you know, as much help as you've offered me, you know, at the trial and, and, and even beforehand, man, like, because I think we can all get I, I'm guilty of it. I get caught up and I'm like, damn, this dog is looking good and he look good in training. But then you put them out where it actually counts and you start seeing stuff that you want to improve on and you, and, and you get in, the, in, in your own head and you start pushing them. I know I'm guilty of it
1: it's easy. You get excited. You get a young dog that breaks out easy. You get like, man, I'm right. such a great dog trainer. I got this dog broke out at nine, nine months old. You know what I mean? You get excited about it, but right. you got to check yourself, um, and, 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 before you wreck the dog. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, my, uh, my dad was recently giving some advice to a, another local young trainer, um, that had a young dog and, um, that was breaking out really early. Um, uh, yeah, good to see you, Derek. Holler out if you get up here. Um, you know, it's kind of breaking itself on its own, but really young. And so, if a dog starts breaking itself on its own, it's pointing birds and not chasing them, they're missing out on a, on what we think. You know, something might like say, like, oh, that's great. He's ready to stand there and not chase them off. Let him stand there and not chase them off. And I can see the merit in that. Right. But I want that dog to have so much freaking drive. To get after those birds, that I've got to break them.
0: Right, right,
2: and and, and then you, you, he's, gonna, you, he's not
1: gonna, he ain't gonna quit. He's you know what, man?
0: To to add to that, I don't mean to interrupt you, man, but I I I really want to address that with you. Um, I hear a lot of guys that are like, "Ah, oh, my dog got too much drive." What in the hell? That's a good thing. <laughs> like, is if?
2: Yeah.
0: He, <laughs> why
1: it's like too much honey? We right. talking about so, so Dippy up in here, man? Like. <laughs>
0: I got too much money. Okay, well, hell, let's find a bank to put it in. Like, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I don't know, man. We're we're getting, and this leads me into in, in another thing. You know, with with, I think it's like a, I don't know if it's a generational thing, or I don't know, you know, what it is. But we've got folks out here looking for the quintessential house hunting dog, which I guess I get because most folks, dogs living in a house, blah, 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 blah. They're not doing what you are doing, blah, 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 whatever.
1: I know some champions that have been on a lot of bass fishing trips.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like the idea that you've got a dog that you, 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 you want or you've got a dog that's got too much drive – well hell learn how to tame it not tame it but learn how to utilize it in a way that doesn't take the run out of him or take the go out of him you know and do that i mean it, i hear that so much i hear it so much and it's like oh well you know i'm it doesn't make sense to me to sacrifice hunting instinct and drive just for the idea that this dog will sit around <laughs> on your couch. Like, what are you talking about, man?
1: Yeah, and, and I think most people that, that are saying that, my dog's got too much drive, when they're saying it in a negative term, they, they probably mean he, he, he's got too much range. He wants to run too much. He wants to run out there too much, Yeah, which is not, which is their walk hunting or whatever, which is too much. But I'm talking about bird, when I'm talking about drive, I'm talking about bird drive. Yeah. let get after them birds.
0: I mean, even with range, though, man, like, and this is my this this my jaded opinion, and, and this is me looking up to guys like you, Neil, and all that stuff, and, you know, Tommy and all of that. Honestly, if I can teach that dog to hold his birds and stay there, Joker, if you want to run, I think, down here, four or five hundred yeah, yards yeah. in the Piney Woods, that's a long way for down here. Yeah. If you want to run that far... Bye. You just better be Bye. on Bye. birds when I get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if you're running like that, you're probably you might be right. Well, I mean, you're going to run by some, not right by some. You better stop and smell them. Right. So you're not covering around because I mean, most people are talking about hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Um. And uh, you know, I would way rather have a dog with two months drive a dog would not know because you can take you can take it out of a dog right right there's so many things you can do to take it out of a dog but if, if it doesn't if it's not in them right here you can't put it in you can't put it
2: in them, right
1: you can't you can't instill artificial drive but you can artificially take drive out of them whether you're running them with chains to wear them down or Running, you know, using that flushing whip or jerking on that ear. You're not caught. There's so many things you can use to bring that dog in to what you want to do. Right. And and the best of them will just come on in for you when they know the difference. And all right, we're blowing the whistle. We're a field trial. It's roll. And all right, we're just hunting. But, um, yes, I. You can't train drive. You can't put it in them. That's got, that's in them when they're, that drive is in them when they're born. You can do things to enhance the drive that they already naturally have. But you can't put it in them. Right. You can only take it out of them. Right, right. So yeah, if you got a dog that if you got a dog that that they say has got too much drive, you're just not. I don't know. I don't want to piss anybody off, but you're just not doing the right thing to bring them on in.
0: Right, right. I, I mean, I, I hope it don't piss anybody off. I mean, there's a there's
1: a lot so more things to be. Go, go, go find the pro trainer and be like, hey, look at this dog and and make you some money off of it.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, cause some of these, you know, some of these guys that get these, these dogs that, that all they want to do is hunt and they run too big. Well, there's some, tra- I promise you, there is a trainer nearby you that has a dog that doesn't run big enough that right. you would probably love. I mean, it's not going to make it in the field trials, but it's going to be a daggum good hunting dog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And some of them will, you know, so, I mean, you can just get straight up trade. Right. And or, it you works. Know, something and it, you know don't be stuck with what you got right because you can't get
0: out of it or you can't train out of it you gotta be some different options. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i agree man um i agree all right so let's wrap this up let's let's really get into the That's controversy right, no. no no no, no. You're, you're good oh, i i'm i'm loving this conversation i just want to um you know i want to get to to most of the, my points because this is not a this ain't a one podcast conversation. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, we can do this again.
0: Yeah, um, and and we will. I, I wanna... want to.
1: I do want to cover, with, unless you want to cover it at a different time. I'd be happy to do this again. Um, you know, talking about the diff You know how you know people say the dogs were harder, more hard headed, tougher, whatever, back in the day, versus the dogs now that are softer, and how we got there. I think that's an important. Topic to cover. That's let's, a question that gets get asked a lot.
0: Let's run. Whether it. we
1: cover that today or another one.
0: Let's cover that. Sometime. Let's, no, let's, let's, let's hit on that right now. All right.
1: Um, the dogs of yesteryear were tougher, and everybody's sense of tough may be different. They were tougher than the dogs of today. Um, I'm not saying that. Is a positive thing. I'm not saying that is a negative thing. Um, you know, maybe that means the dogs of yesteryear were harder to break. Um, but they could take, they could take the physical pressure that was required at that time because there was no other way to break a dog at that time. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so they had to be tougher, and so it was happening. Let's say you got a litter of ten puppies. Um. There were soft dogs back then. There were dogs that were not tough back then. This has a lot to do with personality, just like people. There have been soft people, personality-wise, all all the all along. I was, man. You look at my sister. She's thirty-eight years old. She ain't broke yet. <laughs> yeah, we talked <laughs> yeah. about that. She, yeah, she was one of those kids you could whip on them with whatever you could get your hands on, and she keep knocking that lamp off the table. <laughs> it didn't right. Doesn't matter what. Right. You know? And I was and there, one of those
0: softer kids in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and I was, and I was, I was the kid that I did something wrong or was about to do something wrong. My parents looked at me hard and I was like, I'm so sorry. Right. I even thought about that. I promise I'll never do that again or anything new that, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm good. I'm sorry. Let's move on. I'm going to be better Right? <laughs> you know I mean? It was, you know, and you had dogs like that back then, but but because they're not people, you can't communicate with them on that same level as you can with a kid. That doesn't take much discipline. If they did some, if the dog did something wrong back then you had to apply some sort of physical discipline. And the dogs that could not take that physical discipline did not make it right into the hunting string or into the field trial string, unless you had a very special trainer that really knew a way to work with that dog. Um, and that did happen some, but the majority of the time. If a dog was going to get broke, he's going to get broke the hard way. So those are the dogs that were getting bred because those are the dogs that were getting broke and making it. Right. All right. Now you fast forward the modern advancements in the modern. I will call it the modern e-collar. Right. Like we talked about, not the the previous collars they had back in the day. You know. So now we got a litter of ten. You know, we'll say. Six, five of them are are are, are tough, maybe a little hard headed if you want to say that, and can take the physical pressure to get broke. But then the other five could not take the physical pressure to get broke. But you're not breaking them with a flushing lip anymore. You're breaking them with a belly collar, right? And you can put it on one and just nick them. And you know you get them out there on birds, and you start nicking them, and they just stop. And, they, and you break them quick and easy. It didn't take much. And, you know, they're good bird finders because right. they're bred that way. They're stylish because they're bred that way. And they were easy to break. And you're like, man, that dog was stylish. He's a bird finder. He's easy to break. I want to breed that dog. Right. So you breed that dog with that personality trait of being a touch softer. And then down the line, down the line, down the line. You got more dogs that are soft. Right. I mean, I'm not saying soft in a negative way or positive. You know, I'm not saying that's a negative thing.
0: It's just the trait that was desired. It, it, it's it's just, just a trait. It's
1: just a trait that got can't put the physical pressure.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of like what came first, the, the chicken or the egg, you know, what came first, the soft dog or the electric collar? No, the soft dogs were already there. They were there. But the electric collar allowed. People to to finish breaking more dogs that would have never gotten broke, never been successful, and then never been bred in the first place. Back in 1977 1st first two thousand
0: forty. Right, right. No, I I think that's um, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because even when you go back and look at what various breeders back then were desiring, right? And I'm gonna bring up El Hugh. Robert Whaley, for example. I yeah. think it's a perfect example to add to this. Whaley wasn't looking for what Farrell Miller was looking for in a dog. You know what I'm saying? Farrell le-
1: Miller was looking for a machine.
0: Right. That's it. Whaley wasn't looking for that. Whaley's dogs, Whaley was looking for, you know, a wiser, a, a, not wiser, but a wise dog. Um, he was into the business of selling puppies. Very good-looking puppies. When you look at an L. he dog, you're like, "Oh shoot!" Everybody that's seen Vegas be like, "Oh, that's lhu ain't he?" Right? I mean, a lot, of class. A lot of class. That's that's what they, they were looking for. A
1: lot of class. Always L.H. dogs had a lot of
0: class. Right, but that's one
1: thing he's reading for.
0: Right, and that's what he was reading. But with that, the sacrifice came when you had a dog, and you read even in his books, he didn't even handle his dogs as tough as a Farrell Miller did up on the prairies or, or things. They, they didn't even handle the same way, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, you sacrifice that. I look at Vegas now and Vegas is a resilient dog. I mean, he just is. And I, I've, I've, you know, done some, some work with Vegas to be sure that I can push him, push him, push him, push him. Push him but then you got to know when to scale back off of that dog. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But, there's some guys when I look at um uh shoot, man. it's one of Neil's dogs that he's got. I got a video I have to send it to you. He told me he was like, when we were running him, he was like, Man, look out because this joker will run you and everything over in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it just when he took off, that dog was like a bulldozer. You know what I'm saying? But when he get yeah. locked up, that joker was a was a statue. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, when you look at that, you look at the dogs, you know, physical traits and things like that. They're they're just they were bred for different different breeders were looking for different things. Yep. You know, um, and and shoot, man, based on how I knew these guys were training, you know, up in the prairies and things like that, you had to have a dog that was a machine like that. You know what I'm saying? You just yeah. you just did you know if we're being totally honest Whaley's dogs were more grouse dogs grouse shooting dogs than they were all age dogs you don't need a a, a brick of a dog you just don't um and so that was kind of one of those things where I'm quick to say oh you dogs are a little bit softer quote unquote yeah. Than you know your Miller's than your um uh shoot your touch dogs you you all of these dogs that are traveling all up and down the states and things like that um and I think the tastes changed marketing dude even pointer you know most people nowadays are like man I don't want a pointer because that's such a knuckleheaded dog and they're really not no but over over the years people's tastes because of what it was what people saw way back then and what people perceived they were hard dogs and people were yeah. like well hell i want a pointer but or i don't want a pointer but i needed to be i needed to act this kind of way so you, you just start yeah. to breed that yeah you know
1: um and, you know and and they're adult i mean and there's all you know, corners they got which you did I, I I finished reading the article you wrote um about the you know the development of the corner, mm-hmm. you know, from back in the you know, early 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 years of the world. Um, oh. you know, corners got some hound
2: animals. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah.
1: They are hound dogs. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I mean my, my mama talks about one of my granddaddy's best hunting dogs. You know he had a you know he had his string in the kennel, but for some reason this dog just stayed out. He's in the yard. Yep. He said he spent his man most of the time laying under the carport on the dog with the coonhound. He also trained coon hounds. but he threw him on that jeep and then took him out of the box, and he was a different animal, yeah you know what I mean Um, i mean i keep I keep corners in the house a lot of times, you yeah. know, just you know cycling some in and out, you know sometimes you see some you know you need a little more attention, you need a little love. Uh, um, I, I bring them in and they get on the couch and they get all kinds of attention and you know, and all I do is lay there. They mm-hmm. freaking lay or a hound dog in the house. Right. A pointer. <laughs> I mean, there's now there some, I got some that are just wired all the time, but that's the that's the rarity. Right. Most of them have a great off switch.
0: Right, right. But the perceived notion is that they don't.
1: It's, yes. Yeah. Correct.
2: You
0: know that,
1: is, that is the vastly perceived much
0: mm-hmm.
1: I talk to them all the time, like, they, they come and ask me? Yeah, I want to get a, I want to get a bird dog. I got a little farm out here, a little pocket out here. What do you think I should get? I tell them get a pointer. Like, oh, I don't want a pointer. That they, they, they're just, they're just too much. They run too much. They, you know, they're too hyper and energetic and you know, all the time. You know, such thing you think I should get? You know, this or that or another thing. And I'm saying, no, I think you should get a pointer, but and they rarely do. They end up getting something else. Yeah, but, of course. <laughs> <you know. laughs> like why would you come ask me if you didn't want to listen to what I said? But right. uh, you know, those but, but that is the that is the biggest probably um, misconstrued thing about pointers is that they're just hyper and jacked up all the time. Mm-hmm. No man, they're hound dogs. They're just lazy old hound dogs until yeah. it's time to go.
0: Until it's time to go. now. When it's time to go. <laughs> you better strap up because we got all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I you know, I um I want to definitely get more into your background and, and some of the work that you're doing down there at Melrose and stuff like that. So we have to have another podcast. I feel like this was only uh, the intro. Um and before yeah, we be- before we wrap up, I do I think Tyler had some more good things that towards the end um that he said yeah, some good stuff. yeah so he, he said right here at the end um some handlers can't handle a tough quote-unquote dog and some handlers can't handle a quote-unquote soft dog true dna research and advancements in that technology and studying the breeding has also helped create better rounded dogs i think so yeah um, and he's seen a lot of dogs who are quote unquote softer in temperament but perform the same as a dog that's tough, which is what we just talked about. Um, yeah. I think all of this stuff is good, man. But I just really wanted to kind of, uh, you know, on this live stream, get into just that question. I've, I hear it a, a ton, man. And I, I was like, well, maybe we need to have a discussion, you know. Um, and then reading about it, I, I just. I want to be clear about history. I always, you know me, I'm a nut about history and not to say that I'm an expert in no means. I just like reading about lines, reading about the ways that people were building the dogs that we have today. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I think it's trans. We got to be 100% intellectually transparent about, what these dogs have gone through and what these dogs are doing today, um, yep. and and in the 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 conversation about toughness, it's you know for all the PETA people, no, it's not about going out and advocating for beating on a dog or nothing like that. It's just simply understanding that the times were different. And those dogs that we and had, the and the dogs were different. They were, and, way, and
1: the technology available was different.
0: It was way different, and and the the knowledge, the science, everything about life then was different. Yeah, it, you know what I'm saying. And so, and understanding that makes me appreciate, you know, talking to guys like you that are, you know, third generation. Because, uh, you know, you and you're related to Tommy. I mean, Tommy is second or or third generation. Is he third? Third too? Okay. Tommy,
1: oh, I know he's at least second. Yeah, I know he's second. My dad and his dad are first cousins. Right. When they grew up, shooting ducks and squirrels and rabbits, you know, they grew up getting into trouble together. And, um, you know, Dad was on the plantations out here, and uh, Tommy, his father, who if anybody's ever met him, is he's actually a brilliant man. Um, he's got his masters in geology from Emory University in Atlanta. Nice. Um, He's worked for Texaco, one of those big old places out there in Mississippi, Louisiana, um, in the 80s, and he got tired of being in New Orleans, yeah. you know what I mean, and being in a big city and raising his kids. And he, but he, and he got into the and stuff, you know, and he got into hunting, and he told Dad, he said, man, he said, I don't care if you got to get me a job digging ditches, get me home, get me out of this place. Right. And Dad knew that he could train dogs, and he, you know, Help, you know. I mean, he dad did not get Uncle Tommy the job. Uncle right. Tommy got himself the job, right? But but dad just helped him line up the right phone calls and got him home and got him on Deco Plantation. And he was there for thirty some odd years, and that's where little Tommy grew up. And,
2: mm-hmm. and yeah, and, so
1: Tommy got he was exposed to it like me from the very beginning, right? And, and seen it. I like, mean, you know, Tommy and Dad they were they were training dogs back when it was you know sort of brutal mm mm-hmm. um not saying that they were necessarily brutal um there's you know the dogs have changed a lot in the day. trainers have not necessarily changed as much as the dogs. I don't think right some of them have a lot I'd hope to think that more of them have, but you know just like back then you hear you hear Dad talk about some other trainers. Dad knew when to have a heavy hand when to have a lot of hand
2: mm-hmm.
1: dad could break dad could break the soft dog in the 70s and 80s that other people couldn't break. Right. Because sometimes, you know, those, when before you had the electric collar, we'd just nick them a little bit. Maybe all you had to do was when that dog chased those birds and you got them stopped, just pick them up and take them back. Right. And set them right there. And them getting just picked up off the ground and carried.
0: That's enough of a you're correction. You're hurting
1: them. Right. They're just off the ground. They may be like, whoa, this blows my mind. Right. That might be enough to break that dog. And, and he had a master's champion that was like that. Right. She did not take any kind of physical discipline well at all. Mm-hmm. She was a pick them up, set them back, a love them up kind of dog to break. Most people couldn't have broke that dog back then. Um, and you got some dogs that are like that today. But I mean, so, before I get there, you know, there were a lot of people back then that just thought dog, knocks the bird. I need to beat the crap out of them. Right. And then fold them up and they'd be no good. And they'd move them down the road. Right. We've got some trainers now and with it's, it's not, there's no excuse for it now because of the advancements we have in technology and what we have available and what we know about these dogs today. The guys that turn their collar all the way up and take the knob off. Yep. And that's where every dog gets hit right there. That's not the way to deal with it. So it's, it's almost the same thing as just it, as beating the dog senseless or, or hanging the dog back in the day, but we do it with an electric collar. And so some dogs will take it, and some will more. Right. And so I, I hate to see that because we've come so far, and they could be breaking so much more dogs. But those, those aren't. That's not. I don't believe that's the way to do it.
0: Mm-mm. I don't. And, and I'm, I
1: believe. I believe that electricity is, is good when used properly. But that's not. That's, that's not using. Well, that's properly. not.
0: That's that's not training. You know. No. That. Uh,
1: that. I know I can hit this button and that dog's gonna stop. And if it doesn't stop and it folds up, and I'll move
0: down the road and I'll go by I'm not breaking like, That's what the secret. Right, right. And I'm gonna I'll add to that because you know I did ask Tommy and I wanted to include this part. But you know I asked him the same question. You know that we've been talking about, and he says no. The e collar made it easier to break dogs. And the side effect was a more biddable dog. Dogs before e college had to be real tough because trainers were beating, shooting, and other harsh treatment of dogs. So the same thing we've been talking about, right? This is coming from yep. two, yep. you know, too far. And then he follows up and says, I think um our dogs could handle it just fine. I think people have evolved better in training and taking care. I believe our dogs are better athletes in physical form. Another good point. Um and and so you guys it's so interesting to be able to bounce that conversation off of you guys especially seeing you know what we um you know what it what it took and and uh Sharon Kennels talks about drops real quick. You know, very good dogs. Also, well, I know we were talking about this other uh, earlier. <laughs> hey, you don't hear about drops very often.
1: <laughs> you just hey
0: man, I, I've heard a lot of good things about them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm shoot Terry, you know, you know, I'm having my dog dilemma. I just got into, um, I'll send you a picture of something once we get off of here. But, a uh, buddy of mine is talking about finally. I told you I was supposed to be getting a, a setter from him and I think he found the line that he wanted to breed to so I'm like ah, god dang I don't know which way to go um, but I, I make sure you if you're going
1: to get a setter you can just go and buy you a like case of whiskey I thought. <laughs> well I
0: do that anyway so we could <laughs> there you go
1: hey I got setters I got an young setter coming on. Yeah. I mean it's just it yeah
0: I'm gonna send you the picture he sent me today of the stud that he's looking at but um you know I I gotta hold my horses man because I can't make quite the decision yet I thought I was in I'll shoot I don't know where I'm going mm-hmm. um but if it, I think he's going up to the Dakotas um in like July or August to see this dog run and if so because we've been talking about it for a long time mm-hmm. um He's going to check the dog out and see. And I asked him, I was like, look, man, the dog got to be able to take it down here, too. And he. Yep. <laughs> so I'll uh, I don't know, man, I, I think they're all cool. And I, I I enjoy the conversation, man. But anywho, you know, this is like I said, this is only a, a part of it. I think a lot of people, everybody on here, I think, enjoyed um what you had to say, and I and I think it comes from a very good place, a very knowledgeable place. So I can't thank you enough, man.
1: Yeah, man. Well, like like my if if somebody on here didn't enjoy it, I'll tell you like my father says
0: that's my opinion and i'm sorry i shared it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there it is <laughs> there it is well i'll yep. um i'm gonna have this up and uh published in the next say day or so um probably chop up the um the little cutouts and things like that but i think it was good man and, and I, I think it's very necessary very timely
1: i enjoyed it I had a, I had a lot of fun um right. I, I really enjoyed that and i Something, uh, you know, Ty Patrick was saying right in here um, about the, the handlers handling a tough dog and a soft dog. I hope we address that when yeah. I talked about the the difference in the people back in the day being too hard on a dog and not working with them versus today with the e-collar. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, sometimes some people just have to change, even though our ways have changed and we're able to make them a little more visible, like Tommy said. Right. But we are creating better dogs. Um, like he's talking about with breeding, um, whether you say softer is a good trait or a bad trait, we are the dogs are getting better overall. Right. We're getting dogs. Yep. Maybe the dogs are a little softer and they can't take the physical stuff. But even if you're a physical trainer and you don't you don't use that electric collar, I don't use electric collar a lot. I use it. I use it. I do use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it with certain applications. I don't rely on it though. Right. I like to try to use a little bit of both. Um, so you can still be physical with dogs, but it may take a soft touch with some of the softer dogs. But like you said, we're getting you know just better. As long as you're breathing better. Right now, if you go breathe something but breathing some junk, then no, you're not getting better around <laughs> the dog. Right, you go backwards. You can go backwards a lot faster than you can go forwards. Let's say that. Right. They ain't, they're not all going to make it, right. but we're able. We're now, I think, we're able to to. We'll just say finish. Uh, finish a higher percentage of dogs in a litter with and then at a higher quality than in the day back back in the day because yeah. no, I don't think we talked this night. I don't think that the best bird finders today are any better bird finders than of yesterday
2: mm-hmm.
1: a, a bird dog's a bird dog. A good bird dog's a good bird dog. I mean, you, you re, if you read in the field and you do your research, they're not finding any more. The, the top dogs are not finding any more birds than the top dogs back in
0: the day. They're the same ratio.
1: But there are more dogs today that are finding that high level of bird. It's because we've been breeding good bird dogs. A good bird dog year after year after year after year. So we're getting more good bird dogs, mm-hmm. more good, when I say good bird dogs, I'm talking about bird finders, um, you know, so no, they're not better bird finders, but we're getting more of the, that high quality.
0: Right. Bird well, the, the, the pool is a little bit bigger now because of selective breeding. Really? I mean, that's what it, that's actually what it was, but it's just very selective breeding. Um, and I mean, the, the, the percentages are just higher. Genetics, 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 as Tyler said. <laughs> yeah, hey,
1: genetics has a lot to do with it, buddy. A lot yeah. to do with it. I mean, look at the Manning. Oh, God. <laughs> In football life. Oh, you think that's God, just a, yeah,
0: that ain't no fluke. <laughs>
1: that's right. Um, and, you know, top after he says, I agree 100%. I can't test dogs with a collar, so I don't like to train with one. Um, and that was, that's my fault. You are right in line. Hey, buddy. My, my little boy is looking out the window at me. He <laughs> loves dogs, too. Um, and <laughs> you know, my dad, I mean, he's old school. Um, and that's one thing he said, you know, he's like, if, if, if you can't handle your dog without an electric collar mm-hmm. when you're training them,
0: then you before.
1: can't handle them at a field trial right. without an electric collar. Or, or I guess, hunt test. And yeah. if you do hunt tests, and um, and that's why, which I'm in a different boat than everybody else, than not everybody else, but some of the other field trawlers that are out there. I feel, you know, I feel trial. Um, you know, some of these pros that all they do is field trial, they gotta make they gotta make every dog that's given to them a field trial to Right. You know, and, and only a percentage of them that they have got can really win. Um, but if, if somebody comes up to me. Let's say let's say I'm a I'm a pro circuit field trawler. That's what I do. And Darrell, you come to me and go here, here's Vegas. Go win the national championship with him. Gotta happen. All right. I've got I gotta try to I gotta try to win with him. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe I gotta use electric collar with him to make him do what I need him to do. And then when it comes to the field trial, I take it off and hope we can get them around the course and do it right. Now, right. that has nothing to do with Vegas can actually do. Right.
2: Just, it's just an example.
0: example. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: um, it's going to be a lot harder to do that with a dog that doesn't just have it in them. Right. Um, you know, there's some dogs that just want it. they want, they don't want to lose you. Well, they want to be with you. They you want can, to do right.
0: You can and read I, in the I'm field. Huh? I was saying, you can read, you can see it in the field, like the dogs that just got it. I mean. Yeah. True
1: Confidence? Yeah. I, I talked to Franklin Asa and um, and Luke Eisenhart very recently about True Confidence. And um, Bob, I should call him, a, Bob has not been shot in a long, long time. Yeah. Them. yeah. He, he's wanting to do it. He's doing it on his own. And luckily, I, because I'm not trying to make a living off of a field trial dog, Mm-hmm. I, I still want to be competitive as I can be. And I want to every single one I enter in. But I'm not trying to make a living making field draw dogs. So I can so I can breed all these litters of dogs, and I, I I try to take my litter and make it a field trial dog. But they're not all going to make it. Not. But because I can because I can take the rest of them and make hunting dogs. I can take the ones I can get around the course of so that electric car. And I can only choose those to field trial, the ones that are going to make it and do it on their own. And so that's going to make, that's going to help me.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Uh-oh. I see a ring. There
2: we go. We good.
1: But, um, but yeah, so I, I don't, so, so my field trial, the dogs that I can pick the field trials with, it's the same way my, my father was. I do not run an electric collar on them. Um, because if I can't get them around and do it without, a, without an electric collar, they're going to go in the hunting string, and I'll just move on right. and, and work on the in the next one. Right.
2: right. But,
1: if I can, but if I got a dog that I can rely on without an electric collar, because these dogs, they know, it doesn't matter how good their condition, they know when you take that collar off. Um, so if I got one that I know I can do it without the collar, then I can count on that dog when I get to the field trial to do it without the collar because they've been doing it without the collar. Right. Right. And you can always use it. you can you know, and if you if you condition those dogs with the collar at an early you know at the proper age, you know, when they're young, go on and condition them to it. You know, so you can use it if you need to, you can always use that tool right down the road. Right. Um you know, I've got a Derby right now, Melrose Ramblin' man who really is an all that dog the um he was one of the top three dogs at the Continental Derby Championship this year, um, and he won. You know, he won the Derby in Alabama. He placed third in the Derby over here this, this spring. Um, he's done very well in you know, most places I've run him in. I'm not running electric collar on him right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He might end up being one that I need to put an electric collar on because he is, he is very extreme. But I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can before
0: I do that I
2: try to make them want
0: to handle for me without the other collar right yeah I mean you're trying to you know test it and see just how far you can work that dog without extra external resources no I get it
1: I'm sorry if I got long winded. <laughs> no you're,
0: you're, you're good you're totally good man um and and I I appreciate it because it gives a different perspective, um, you know. And, and you bring up a very good point. You know, I don't I don't even want to. I, I I didn't think about it, but there's the perception that a lot of field trial guys only you know use collars and things like that, and that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, so I mean, you're you're bringing yeah, it all you know, up. Most
1: of these guys, they put that the, the, they train with the collar, and, and and there's another way to look at it too. You put that electric collar on them. And every single time they are incorrect, you, you, you give them a response mm-hmm. every single time. And so hopefully you're ingraining in them, I need to do the correct thing every single time. And then when you get to a field trying to take that collar off, hopefully that's still in their head. Mm-hmm. But some of these dogs, they feel real quick when they get over and start hollering them and hollering them. And they go, wait a minute, I'm not getting shot. <laughs> right. Yeah. You
2: know. Right.
1: And so there's, there's, there's both sides to it. But then there's some things you can do a little bit if you're not using that collar to get in that dog's head out of field trial. Because you know how to get in their head and you're not in the field trial, not using with the collar. Like right. we've talked about
0: before. You know, I but I think it, it fundamentally goes back down to having your hands on that dog too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like... Uh, however, you decide to train it off for me again. It was is that barrel work. I don't. I mean, th- th- save for that Rocky Creek trial with Vegas. Last thing I was worried about was Vegas getting out there and handling birds.
1: No, he did a good job.
0: You know what I'm saying. But I, I, we spend so much time, and I can honestly say that was a hands on. That was me having my hands on that dog. So you know, it it, it was just my biggest concern was hell him just run staying ahead. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And that's, and and that's something that, that is still in development and coming with time. But when you want a dog just to get out there and and handle his birds and stuff, you should not be doing that with a collar. You know what I'm saying? That I think there's so many other steps and the collar is just that icing on the cake at best.
2: Yeah.
1: And one of the things, you know, the collar is a is a great insurance policy, and um, if you've got a dog with any halfway intelligence, they want to do what's right for you. Right. And so, sometimes using that belly collar, well, if we're talking about breaking breaking the dog on wanting to knock first, take first, using that belly collar, it's just another tool, mm-hmm. and, you know, and yes, you could say, well, since he's broke on the belly collar, when I take the belly collar off, he's gonna go, "Oh, my belly collar's not right on. I can go knock birds all I want." If that's the way that if that's where that dog's thinking, he's never gonna make he's it. He's
0: not gonna make it, right?
1: He ain't gonna make it. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to that collar. You know, they're gonna learn that they don't want to chase those birds. Not only because the belly collar's gonna get them, but because that's the wrong thing to do, and they mm-hmm. want to do the right thing for the master, right? Right, so you take that belly collar off after you got them figured, They got it figured out. They they should stand there.
0: Right, you know, and that was it's it's so interesting. You bring that up. Um, I I, I a buddy of mine today asked. I was showing him some stuff. Uh, bear, I had Facetimed him. Um, Blair Matthew. We we were talking earlier today, and you know, he asked. He was like, "Well, when did you know that it was time to start taking the chase out of the dog?" And my answer, and I, you know, you let me know what you think. I didn't really know. I didn't have a timeline. You know what I'm saying? I just was messing around and I flushed a bird, and Vegas stood there for a second without any kind of interaction from me. He was pointing, flushed bird. Bird is, you can see him kind of hesitate like, do I run? Do I do? You know what I'm saying? Like, kind of processing. And it was after we had done all the pointing work and this and that, like getting him there, the dog pretty much told me, I think I can handle this now.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And i you know, nothing is absolutely inverted on. Um but uh, they're gonna tell you when they're kinda gonna tell you when they're Right. No, sometimes it's just ah, right, it's time to break this dog. Right, they've had because you know they've had they they their yard broke. You know their, their woe broke. Whatever. You know they've seen plenty of birds. They have chased plenty of birds. It's time to. it. sometimes you just got to take a dog that's not trying to stand there, and I mean, you guys got to break them. Right. Um. But uh. But a lot of times a dog is going to. Show you something like you're talking about. All of a sudden, he started just kind of standing there and watching them run out. And then maybe he went on with them after a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but you can tell he's starting to want to get kind of broke. Right. Um, but that's not the absolute. Like I said, sometimes you got dogs, like we got a guy down here, and I've had them, they, they break them. I mean, you put no pressure. They're not even low broke, hardly. Right. And they just start standing there and watching birds fly off real young, six, seven, eight months, nine months old. I don't like that. Um, I mean, I like that they have that in them, but I don't just want to start breaking them right then. Right. I want you know, I want to continue to build that drive to get after those birds. And um, you know, something my dad would do, I think him do it, is sometimes I mean, sometimes puppies will start being broke mm-hmm. in the spring puppies, and you're like, man, that's awesome. And a lot of people will be like, let's just break them. You know. But you're going to end up getting problems down the road because you broke that dog early. Um, you could, um, most likely, you are. Um, and so, what I've seen him do is a dog with a puppy like that would point, and he'd walk out there with his four ten, and you know, flush the covey, and he'd have his whistle in his mouth, and he boom, he shoot that bird, and toot toot, just to encourage that dog to go on and go chase that bird that just fell or something, yeah. and. And try to encourage them to keep chasing them, keep chasing them, want to get them. And then let's get some maturity on you. Let's build that drive up to where it cannot be broken. And then, then Man, we'll break. Come it.
0: back, right, right. You, you know, you want that absolute, I mean, you want that absolute drive to be in there. Because, again, like you say, you, you, you can't put it in there. <laughs> so. You can take it out. You but can take it out. But to get it put in. Right. All right, they yeah. start being broke too broke too early. I mean, that's cool, but uh, we still got you know a few more things. I mean, that, that as as a teacher, that's almost kind of like to me, you know, moving a kid. Yeah, this kid is smart, but is he ready to skip a grade yet? I don't know just yet. Wow. Like
1: building blocks, man. That's yeah. Like I think Neil talked about it in the last podcast. It's all building blocks. hmm
0: You
1: got to build on them.
0: Yeah. You, you can't. Don't skip. Yep. 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 Well, I, I think we covered a whole hell of a lot of ground today, man. <laughs> hey,
1: I love it, man. I could die. I could talk all night about bird dogs. Shoot. I love
0: it. Man, you, you I, I could it. too if I didn't have a, a baby. Uh Hey man, we, we got eleven listeners now. We ought to just keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> we go I want to,
1: shoot. <laughs> hey, I don't have to be I don't have to be anywhere until about seven o'clock tomorrow morning. I don't know about you
0: <laughs> I got about Five more minutes and I gotta be on daddy duty. <laughs> I, I don't
1: know. i, I don't know. mine in bed. I'm trying to look through the door. She's been going. I'm out here on the screening porch. She's been going door to door, going dad,
0: dad, dad, dad. And see, look, so my, my mind about to guy. start doing you that. She, mine, about to start crawling now. So, Lord, help me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just enjoy it, buddy. Just
0: yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: awesome.
0: Well, is there anything you want to leave with the listeners, man? I mean, you know, we're not. This ain't the end. This, I mean, this is only part one of Terry Chastain. But what, uh, what can we, we leave him to, to bring him on back next time?
1: <laughs> oh man, I don't know. This is your
2: thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs>
0: Oh, I, I do need to say, um, you, shoot, I, I need to publicly thank you because I've been ratting and raving about copper, man. Like, that damn horse was amazing. <laughs> it's-
1: well, I, I, we can't take much credit. We, we bought that horse. Um, man, we, we had, we barely had him a year when he yeah. got on him. Um, he was up there at, uh, Burnt Branch, which is where they just held the Dixie all age, um, and, and, and Derby. Um, he was owned by Eddie Scholler, um, his, his dog man and horse man and manager is Greg Shepard, who's a long-time uh, family friend, and he's, he's a good dog man, too. Um, yeah. And he breaks a lot of horses. I don't know if he broke copper or not. He probably had something to do with it. I'm sure he did. Yeah. And uh, they get a lot of horses through there, and sometimes they just go,
0: you know, like I said, man, this ain't the end of of what we got going on, and and I wanna I wanna spend some. some <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Just
2: laughing.
1: Ty. Ty is Ty is. I think it's the top contributor award. I think so. <laughs> Ty gets top thing? contributor. You do that on Insta. Get
0: your Insta traffic, bro. I I think so. Um. And I, I'm supposed to get out there with Ty. He's gonna kick my butt. Uh, we spoke a long time ago. I'm supposed to go hunt with, grouse with him with his poodle pointers, but you know we're not gonna say nothing about that right now.
1: Yep, T- T.O., I know. I, <laughs> he said, have your dad on next time. I talked to him last night. I was like, I was talking about some stuff, and I was like, Dad, I said like, you just need to be the one that gets on there. I was like you just got so much to say. But anyway, you should. He always has so much to say. You should, but, um, man no you're the one that's out front you're doing it you gotta do it now but I, hey I tell you what we need to get him and Joe Bryson on at the same time
0: oh god yes please let's do can you Can you like set that up is that possible oh, that would be awesome that's a the heck of a team there's my wife right there too um man okay can you can <laughs> you see. So we
1: can get him talking we'll get some little lights they will get him going <laughs>
0: Um. All right. So let's let's. I'm a beg. Put me on the phone with Dad, man. Like let let me beg him to get on.
1: And he well, he plays this game. He's like, Oh no, I don't want to talk. Uh, and then you he, he always acts like that. I don't want I don't want people coming over this weekend. I don't want to entertain. And then you just can't get got rid of him. Right. Like, <laughs> he's worse than me. You think you can't, we've been on here for two hours? You think you have a hard time getting rid of me?
0: oh shoot man like i said if i didn't have daddy duty i would not be getting rid of you so <laughs> well i'm uh let, let's see if we can do that and joe's silly behind man like mm-hmm. yeah that that i i hate that joe left so early um during that last podcast that joker there didn't stop talking during the trial you heard joe all the way in the back
1: that's Jeff frightful, buddy. That's yeah. Dilly from Philly. Oh really? <laughs> right why they call me Dilly. Why <laughs> they call me Dilly?
0: They're my buddy. Oh man. Um
1: We're almost done.
0: Oh man. Okay. <laughs> okay. That is funny. Well, Terry, I appreciated it, man. I appreciated it, man. And I'm gonna, um I'm about once we get off, I'm gonna send you that picture of that setter. You let me know what you think. You're yeah, good, buddy. all right buddy all right guys Uh, that is that is that is another episode of the gundog notebook live okay this is this is the 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 new set of things that we got going on um that's right that's
1: right
0: ashley my wife on there talking trash (laughs) in the other room anywho we gonna log on
1: log on there and be like man that dog trainer is so handsome that's <laughs> something like, me feel good right but uh I, I enjoyed it um you know if any any of y'all on there you know have any just if, if y'all got any questions you know i'd be i'd be happy to answer them you yep. just you know slide into my dms as they say on Instagram <laughs> um and if, if i can't answer it maybe i can at least get you pointed in the right direction right. um
0: Greg, I'm sorry. I'm laughing at But yeah, go ahead, bud. I enjoyed it. Hey uh, man. Yes, sir. Yes sir. Uh part two is coming up pretty soon. Be prepared. All right. All right, buddy. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. That's the end of that episode. The whole episode, the whole two hours and five minutes of, of Terry Chastain's awesomeness. Um Guys, we're we going to definitely have him on again. And, and I mean, he's down in Thomasville. He's my, my, my South Georgia buddy. So, anywho, look forward, I look forward to producing more of this. And, and I, I appreciate all my sponsors and everybody just really looking out for me and, and all the support that I've gotten. And, and like I said, I, I, I really want to be, um, you know, be – or I guess put more information out there about history and and bird dogs and things like that and whatever in the best format that I can um, and not steer anybody in the wrong direction, but, you know, make everybody a little more aware of what we had in the past present and what we got going on in the future. So with all that being said, guys, thanks for tuning in and I'll see y'all next week.
2: No. <laughs> oh, come back, Mr. Noodle. Where did he go? Boy, that was some sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for Dorothy's question, Mr. Noodle?
0: <laughs> somebody sneeze like that, August. You gotta watch out for him. It's coronavirus. Ready?